Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As well as which uh, the listeners in which talk Kansas, which still remains the largest group of Reported? listeners Reported? to our radio programs, at least when they go to podcast later tonight. Now prayer, and we'll get in tonight's program that you're really going to want to listen up to. Dear Heavenly Father, in Yeshua home and see his name, I pray. Father, please give this, other, this nation another chance to heal so Christians might have a place to be safe during these terrible times and so that we might bless Israel. Father, I pray that radio tonight goes according to your will and not mine, and please give everyone ears in which to hear the truth, Father. In Yeshua's name, bless this program tonight. Amen and amen. Well, what have we really came to? You know, I keep saying the world is in turmoil, and most don't realize it, but we are in the time of the end. Are, do you realize all the evil that's afoot? Really? Um, are you one of these that does not discern the time or the season? In Matthew twenty four thirty two, we find, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When the branch is not yet tender and put it forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when you see all these things, know that, that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and the hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as, in, as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the Son of be as the Let's back up. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. Well, the world is getting so much evil, and so many people put different plays and spin on this scripture. And there, there are one thing I want to really look at. People were going on in their normal behaviors. Well, yes, it got extremely evil, and that's what it was like before the flood came and washed them away. But people, they just didn't pay attention to what's going on. Are you one of these people that are not paying attention? Or what is your relatives? So all evil, manner of evil is upon the world, and it seems now to be coming from this place that used to be a light to the world. is now sending out darkness. Yes, I'm talking about the United States of America. And how so often, I really wonder about that when everybody talks, they keep saying America, America, America. Well, it's the United States of America, not just America. Well, I'm getting ready to ask this question of somebody that really has, you know, well, it's kind of a loaded question. I'm not sure how you'll answer it. So let's find out. I'm now bringing on with me Frank Steffen, the founder of American Radio, uh, Voice Radio. And he does a program called simply The Frank Report. So let's bring on Frank and see what he has to say. Welcome, Frank. Are you there with me? How you doing, Dan? Pretty good, pretty good. Been busy with the mission church all week and kind of tired, but you know that goes with the, the course. Mm-hmm. But 
I have a, a question to you, Frank, and I know you have a, an, an answer, but I believe it's an answer that people need to this question. And uh, so I, I said to you earlier, I'm kind of just unleashing you, so to speak. And so my question to you is this. What do you really think and know about America that my listing orders ought to hear from you? Well, I guess the first thing, Dan, is, uh, you know, uh, how do you define America? I mean, what what are you asking me? What part of America? You know, America's a big place. There's uh, over 330 million people. You know, we got 50 states. We, you know, what what part of America? You know, the people, the government, the business, the economy, you know, they're all separate. And, And they're becoming more separate isolated from each other, you know, uh, at least in my view they are. So what America do you want me to comment on? Because there's a different answer for all of them. At least I have a different answer for all of them. Well, amen. And this is the kind of answer I expected from you. So let's start with the government. Um, And then let's just, you know, come forward, depending on the time. And if you don't have enough time to answer... For all these different things, we'll bring you back. We'll do another program. But I'm really interested, and I want the people to hear it from you. Let's start with the government. No, I can be concise because the government, my view of uh, you know what the government of America, the United States is, is pretty short and simple. I mean, there's a lot of details and a lot of examples, and I can prove. I, I have evidence to back up my opinion, okay, on this. And But the simple short answer is, I look at the United States government as nothing more or less than a criminal operation. It's a criminal enterprise. That's all it is. And everybody involved in it is a criminal. And they have also committed treason, which is, again, another crime. You know, and that, that's the short answer, uh, what I think about the United States government. I've said it before, and I, and I say it often, because I really believe it, and I think people need to get this in their head. The United States government is wow. the enemy of every living thing on this planet. Whether you're a man, a woman, a dog, a cat, a tree, a fish, no matter what you are, the United States government is your biggest enemy on this planet. That's pretty much what I think about the United States government. Well, you say you have evidence. You know, most people would say, well, we have a constitution, and, you know, we're the best government that's ever uh, been, you know, on the face of the earth, so to speak. Well, so, and, you know, on paper, we probably are, and we probably do, on paper. Yeah. You know, uh, but the, the thing people also need to understand is, yes, we do have the constitution, but the constitution has been fundamentally changed. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because other than, you know, uh, vote rigging and lying about elections and all that, which is another part of their criminal enterprise, and it's been a part of their criminal enterprise for a very, very long time. I mean, since, you know, the 14th Amendment, that was, a, that was criminally passed. People don't realize that what the... What, this was right after the Civil War, and what the federal government did was they said, okay, we have this 14th Amendment, we're going to put it out there to be ratified by the states. Okay, so it went out, and it did not get ratified by the states because the southern states voted no. So what the federal government did, instead of just saying, well, there you go, you know, we tried, we lost, that's it. No, they removed 
okay? They removed the legislatures and the, and the governors of all the southern states that voted against it and put in military governors from the federal government. And they populated their, their legislatures with appointees by that governor, okay? And then they voted again. And guess what? It passed. Got to away. See, that's now, criminality right there. That that is blatant. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, um, and that's how the Fourteenth Amendment got passed. So if people think that's legitimate, well, fine, they can or they cannot. But the the fact of the matter is, it's there, and they are acting as though it is legitimate, and they are operating on that assumption. Another thing they did to fundamentally and personally, and and this is arguable, and other people I've had this discussion, and they don't, and they're knowledgeable, and they don't agree with me, but I think it's true that. What fundamentally changed, the Constitution guarantees a Republican form of government to every state in the Union. Well, in another part of the Constitution, it also says that the states of the Union cannot be denied their suffrage in the United States Senate without their consent. Well, they got another amendment called the 17th Amendment, and they did this right along the same uh, year or two. Uh, when they did the 16th Amendment, which everybody knows started the IRS and the uh, federal income tax on everybody, which was also not done legally, not ratified legally. But, hey, it's there, and they're operating as though it is legal. So, you know, we have to deal with it. We can't just say, yeah, well, it's not legal. So, you know, yeah, well, they're they're not going to listen to that. But the 17th Amendment is a little less known about because it, it seems... It seems passive and it, like it doesn't really matter, but what it did was it fundamentally changed our form of government. You know, it changed our whole form of government, where it was a Republican form of government. It, the 17th Amendment, in my opinion, turned our Republican form of government into a democracy. And you see, this is what they call it, and they have good reason to call it that. And people argue all the time and say, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. Well, we used to be a republic until the 17th Amendment, because what they did was, senators of the United States, and this is how the, uh, the Constitution is set up, uh, you know, separate branches, checks and balances, yada, yada, yada. We've all heard that. We've all been taught that in school. Now... In the House, uh, in, the, in the Congress, the House of Representatives represents the people. And that pretty much is the same as it's always been. They really haven't changed the House of Representatives much. I mean, yeah, right. they monkey with the districts. You know, they gerrymander the, 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 you know, the districts to try to right. get their way and get their voters. But they've done that ever since the Constitution was written. So the House of Representatives really hasn't changed much. But the Senate has changed dramatically because they used to represent the states of the union. And how they did this was because the legislatures of each state voted to who's going to be their two senators. Right. And they were sent to the Senate to represent the interests of the state, meaning like the state of Oregon, okay? They go to Washington, D.C., and they are the representatives of the state of Oregon in the federal government. Now, you know, the state of Oregon's 
uh, interests are not always the same as the people of the state of Oregon, right? Right. We have different interests sometimes, and sometimes they go together, and sometimes they don't. But the fact is, see, this setup had a situation where the people were represented by their representatives in the House of Representatives, and the state itself was represented by the senators, which, by the way, could be recalled at any time if they started just running off the rails of what the state sent them there to do. Well, they changed it in the 17th Amendment to have the senators elected basically the same way House of Representatives are elected, by the people, except everybody in the state gets to vote for the senators, and they said, well, this will put a this will put the power to the people and take away the corrupt state legislatures that are running amok out there. Uh, well, what ends up happening is, you see, that creates a void. Because now the states are no longer represented in the Congress. Okay, They have lost their suffrage in the Senate. Okay, And not every state of the Union voted yes. Okay, because they went through the simple amendment process where three-quarters right. have to do it. Well, three-quarters is not, no state can be uh, denied their suffrage without their consent. That means it has to be 100%. Every state has to say, okay, if you're going to take away their suffrage, and they didn't. Another act of criminality and fraud, but it's there and they're operating on it. So what it did was, now it's created a void. Because the people already have representation in the House of Representatives. The state no longer has representation through their senators. So the senators are kind of just hanging out there, right? Well, nature abhors a void, a vacuum, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's going to be filled by something else. So who today do the senators in the United States Senator appear to represent? My Hmm. answer would be the corporations. And that's who they represent now. And you can see it in their voting. You can see it when you look and see who they get the money from, where they get, and how much money they get from corporations. You work for who pays you. And they get far more money from corporations and lobbying money than they do from their paycheck being a U.S. senator. You know, so, you know... Let me ask you a question. Wait a second here. Um, You know, I understand this, but how do we explain the fact that... um, And I'm not in disagreement with you, but how do we explain the fact that we might, you know, um, elect some war hero and he goes off to Congress and, you know, and becomes, you know, a senator? How do we explain somebody that that seems to us fine, and I won't say... well? Perfectly okay, you know what I mean? Not in the sense of perfect, but you know what I mean. And then he gets there, and he acts just like the other one. How does that happen? Or any thought on that? I mean, Well, it goes back to you work for who pays you again. And so you get up there, and it's like any group, Dan. And you and I and everybody out there has probably experienced this. When you, you join a group of any kind, a sporting team, whatever it is, a bowling league, whatever your group is. So you come in there as an individual, maybe you bring a friend with you or whatever, but you're there pretty much alone, and there's the group, and they are doing things their way, and they come and say, oh, hi, you're new here. Well, here's how we do things, okay? And the same is in the Senate, and they get told this is how you do things. And when you're a freshman senator, you see people don't understand this about our Congress, at least 
you know, a vast majority of people do not understand this because they don't concern themselves with it. And, you know, legitimately they shouldn't have to, but these are dire times. And, sorry, you know, normally you shouldn't have to hose your house down with water, but when it's on fire, you do. Okay, and we're on fire here, folks, so you do need to concern yourself with these things, even though it, you really shouldn't have to, but I'm sorry, we're on fire, so you do have to. Right. And, and the fact of the matter is, they get in there, and the Congress, both the House of Representatives and the Senate, have a seniority sort of uh, setup going on in their leadership. Okay, when you come in as a freshman, you basically got nothing to say. Okay, and the leader, and if you don't go along with the leadership, you will never have anything to say. Meaning, you will never sit on any any worthwhile committees. Okay, you will never, because that's how it goes. Somebody yeah. comes up with a bill, it goes to the committee. The committee passes it on, or they don't. Okay, and the leadership stacks these committees in their favor, the agenda of whatever party is controlling it. Right. So as a freshman, you have no control. So you want control. You want to have as much say as you can. This is just natural. I mean, even if you go in there with a good intention, go, well, you know, I want to have as much say. I want to get on the important committees. I want to be a big wheel here so I can better represent the people that sent me here and do good for the folks in my state. Let's just say somebody goes in there with a good intention, which I really personally, I, I feel that the vast majority of them do not go there with that intention. They go there to see how much money they can make. But the thing is, let's just say we got this good guy that you described, war hero type, and he goes there and does that. So the only way to do that is to start playing ball. So you might say, well, okay, then I guess I can vote for this. I'll hold my nose and I'll vote for this because this is what the leadership wants, and I want to. In- I need to ingratiate myself to the leadership in order to have any say here and do a, you know, do a good job for the people that elected me. So you do that. Now, Dan, what happens when you start compromising? Oh boy! Once you start compromising, it's just never ending. Every time it gets easier. It's like killing people. The first one's hard. Second one's easier. Third one's easier. You know, fourth one, now you're a serial killer and it's all good. Okay? I mean, the same thing goes with compromise. The first one may really bother you a lot. You might go, geez, I hate doing this. You know, it's really, oh, but I got to, you know, to, to get ahead here. Then the second one gets a little easier and a little easier and a little easier. And next thing you know, it's business as usual and you're just one of the boys. Yeah, And that's what happens to the good guys that go to Congress, generally. Now, the ones that stick to their guns and say, I don't care, I've been elected, I'm coming here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spit fire and vinegar on you, and boy, I'm going for it. Well, they don't generally last long, because the mechanism of the parties makes it so you will never be elected again. Yeah, we have sure seen that in this election, which we'll talk about. But, um, you know, we've got to go to a break, uh, as you might know that. So, Frank, where can they find your program at? What time? Well, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com, where you're listening right now at 8 p.m. Pacific time, will be my next show. And that is, I don't do a Friday 8 p.m. show, but Monday through Thursday. And Monday I do two hours, so... You know, uh, 8 p.m., and on Tuesdays I do 9 p.m. because uh, somebody else had to move into my 8 p.m. slot because of their work schedule. But that's generally it, and noon Pacific time, Monday through Friday. All right, well, folks, we'll be right back. 
Dr. Dan will be right back. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. ID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR 2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR 2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
back. This is Pastor Dan Catlin. You're, you're listening to Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour program on the American Voice Radio Network. Well, folks, you know, I always ask you right now to pray about a donation for our work with the homeless and poor from our mission church in Wichita, Kansas. But right now, I'm going to ask you about something else. All of you, if you're hearing my voice, you're listening to me on what's called radio airtime. Radio airtime isn't free. Um, I have to pay for that. You know, Messiah's Branch is a unincorporated church, and so you know we don't sell anything at all, whatsoever, nothing. Um, once you know, I will let the guests that I have on promote their books or their websites or whatever, but they're promoting their own thing, and I don't get any kind of percentage or, or anything for that. In other words, I you know I get nothing by letting them on the program, so to speak. Well, yeah, they, they send me their books. Most of them do. Uh, if they're the right kind of person or author, they'll send me a book because they want me to be familiar with their book tip or the interview. But, you know, that's not in payment for the program. So it's up to you folks that donate to donate to keep us on the air. You are the people uh, that make it possible. You know, without that, I, we're not a millionaire ministry, you know. Our ministry, uh, in fact, the whole ministry, even the homeless and poor, that depends on your donations. You know, we have a small congregation, but nowhere near has enough money to do the things that we do. And that's why Messiah's Branch is a, the whole ministry in itself is uh, a work of faith. You know, in James it says, show me your, your faith without your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. That's in James chapter 2, which also says faith without works is dead being alone. Meaning that, you know, faith's an action word. You're supposed to, the, the Father tells you to do something, you believe it by faith, and you don't sit there and wait and fundraise until you have enough money to do it. You get up and you move out the door and you start moving in faith that will be provided for. We've been doing that for 17 years. I've also been doing that. For on American Voice Radio since I think it was 2004 um, to pay for airtime, and it's not just airtime. I mean, I have to pay also internet fees, and I have to pay for equipment. Which, like right now, uh, I have a brother making uh, building me a computer, you know, to because he believes that I'm in need of a ministry computer. Well. We do. We need to, to set it up in Wichita, Kansas, so that when I'm at the Mission Church, that like last week, you, you folks that listen to me live every week uh, had it figured, probably got it figured out. That was a rerun last week, and the reason being is because I was at the Wichita Mission Church doing um, the work um, of renovating the, the Mission Church, and I had no way to do radio from there, you know. Um, it, it's hard to explain, but you know, I use a professional microphone and a and a uh, uh, you know a, what they call a rack, you know, which is a mixer board, and and it takes two computers also. And and uh, right now I have three screens, one of which I'm looking at, which tells me uh, how much my microphone volume is, and uh, tells me if my speakers are working, so that I hear at what level, and it also has the Skype on it. Um, that's, I'm looking at a pink screen that's, all, that's about ready to turn black because I don't have enough money for a screen. So, you know, we need these things. So pray about a donation for radio. And, you know, it is a lot of work. I'm not asking for a reward, but it is a lot of work consistently looking for radio guests for you to find people interesting and that can inform you 
And so I look for those things, and it, it takes a lot of hours and a lot of research. And also, a lot of you, you go to prophecyhour.com. So, you know, at prophecyhour.com, uh, there's lots of news. You know, the latest and breaking news is over there. And so um, that takes a lot of work to pay attention to that. So the radio in and of itself, you know, I know a lot of you say, well, I'll donate to the homeless and poor. Well, a lot of people won't donate to the homeless and poor. So if you make a donation and you want to make a donation for radio, which we can really use a good donation, I need a screen and some other things um, for radio and consistent. I always need help paying airtime or podcast time. Somebody say, well, I don't listen on radio. I listen to your podcast. Well, podcast costs also, and it also costs for the Internet to run it to do that and so on and so forth. And what you hear on the podcast isn't something that I just created. It's live radio that you're hearing. So you are listening to radio when you're listening to podcasts because it's live recorded radio. I only do live programs. That's it. I mean, you know, once in a great while I did uh, pre-recorded programs, but I just, you know, dislike them extremely. So pray about supporting our time. You know, um, make it easier for us. And I'm not that being a, uh, a believer in Yeshua is supposed to be easy, but, um, you know, pray about it. And you folks that uh, want to donate to the homeless and poor, just, you know, your donation, all the donations that come in usually go to the Mission Church, you know. And some's taken out for airtime. But if you want something specifically to go to radio, just mark on it for radio. And... It will go just for radio purposes, whether it's airtime or for a screen or whatever. Just mark it for radio. So pray about it. And, you know, any kind of donation will help. I mean, all donations, no matter, any size helps. And the Father notices all donations that come from where? Your heart. You can donate online or mail a check or money order. And you can find all that information at prophecyhour.com. And remember, don't forget the homeless and poor in our mission church. We're in the middle of a renovation, and we really don't have the money to complete it. It'd take it, We need a few thousand dollars to complete it. And I'd really like to finish the work that we started. And I believe that by faith we'll get it done at some time. But are you one of these people that the Father will use to accomplish his goal? So pray about it, and pray about airtime, and pray about equipment. Like I say, um, I'm going to be in some trouble when the screen goes out, and it, it's about out. So anyway, uh, folks, we're back now with Frank from AVR, and he does a program called The Frank Report. And we were talking about the American government and how it works, and Frank says it's a criminal organization. Let's bring Frank back. Are you there with me, Frank? I am. Okay. Two things. First off, um, it, just let's make a couple of clarifications on the first half, just in case people don't know. What's suffrage and what's the Fourth Amendment or 14th Amendment? Okay, well, suffrage is kind of interesting, and they use it in the Constitution, and it does say, you know, no state shall be uh, denied its suffrage in the, in the Senate without its consent, right? And, you know, and people argue that, well... You know, we're not a Christian nation and this and that and the other thing, and we're, uh, you know, separation of church and state. Well, the funny thing about the word suffrage is uh, suffrage actually, the first definition of suffrage, the first use, meaning the most used, you know, it's suffrage, is an intercessory prayer, okay? And an intercessory prayer that people, you know, most of your listeners probably know, but for those that don't, is a prayer you do on behalf of others, okay? That is an intercessory prayer. 
Now, it's used as a vote also, but it's not just a vote, okay? It's not just a vote. It's like when you go vote, you vote for yourself, okay? You vote for your own best interest, right? You go down there and think, well, who do I like? Who do I think is going to do the best job for me and my family, right? Right. Well, suffrage is a vote, but it's basically like an intercessory prayer. It's a vote on behalf of others, okay? And that's what senators do. They go to the Senate and they vote on things on behalf of others. And that's what suffrage is. It's just that simple. You know, it's it's basically voting on behalf of others. And um, the 14th Amendment actually started out as the uh, 1860-something equal rights um, uh, law. Right. And it was found unconstitutional. So, to get around that... Uh, they didn't really rewrite it. They just rewrote it to become an amendment to the Constitution, and therefore it could not become, it couldn't be unconstitutional if it was a part of the Constitution, right? Right. So that's what they did. And the 14th Amendment, basically, uh, people believe and are taught in school that the 14th Amendment is all about creating, and it did do this, it created another form of citizenship. Because that was how it got sold, okay? It got sold that, look, uh, because before the 14th Amendment, there was no type of citizenship in the United States of America except state citizenship. You were a citizen of Kansas, Dan. And, And through that citizenship in Kansas, because Kansas was one of the several states that agreed to become a union, you also had United States of America citizenship. But it was always tied to your state citizenship. Well, they sold it saying, well, you know, there's some states that will never allow blacks to be a citizen of their state. So we have to create a federal citizenship. And that's what the 14th Amendment did. What it actually did more than that, because, you know, this was the selling point, okay? That was the PR behind it. And it it does do that. But the main thing it did, and why I say the main thing, is because 90% of all the lawsuits that came after this amendment was passed and ratified and, you know, accepted as law, right? Because, again, you know, it was done criminally. It was fraud. It was extortion. And, you know, it was blackmail and everything else. It's all illegal activity. But it's there, and that's what they're doing. So the thing is, 90% of the lawsuits after the 14th Amendment was ratified and put into law were corporations suing to be recognized as persons. And the Supreme Court actually bought their argument, and to this day, corporations under the law are considered persons. That's really ludicrous. Yeah, you think? Yeah, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely think. And, you know, one of the things, you know, this, uh, uh, for a lot of people, and me for one, uh, while I thought a lot of things before this election cycle came up, um, there was so much that has been confirmed by it, and you know I have to give Trump the credit for it, in the sense of, of showing how 
um, things were rigged. I was astounded at how, well, the Democratic was really a, a proof of it, how that was totally rigged for Hillary Clinton, you know. But it, it, for the first time, I believe that it actually showed that. So how can, you know, we have Trump, and now I believe that he's an outsider, but how can somebody like Trump as an outsider, even if he gets elected, be able to do anything the way, you know, in this rigged system? What do you think? Well, if if he does get elected, I mean, yeah. you know, there are things that presidents can do, and, and there's things that presidents legitimately can do. You know, I mean, executive orders, I really don't like executive orders, but I mean, you know, they can use them if, as long as they use them within you know, uh, the realm of where they belong, which most of them don't. But, you know, uh, he can't really do all that much by himself. Now, executive orders, there's some things that he may be able to do. He, I, I'm pretty sure through executive order, he could order a wall built on the southern border. But then there's the, the idea of paying for it, Okay. Because do you realize, and do your listeners realize, that the Congress of the United States already voted to build a wall all yeah. across the, the border? And they said, yes, yes, yeah. build the wall, yes, build the wall. And then another bill came by and said, okay, it's time to pay for the wall. And they said, no, no money to pay for the wall. So yeah. while there's a law that says they got to build a wall, Congress totally refused to fund it. Well, see, there, now, there's something, you know, right there. Um, they stopped it. It's just like Congress could have stopped Obamacare and many of the other things that Obama has been trying to do. But they didn't. didn't. They went ahead and funded it, which also makes me, well, throw in real quick before you answer, is maybe that's why Trump says, well, you should have Mexico pay for it. If he has Mexico pay for it, then, you know, that's the way to pay for it. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, why? You know, Mexico should pay for it. Mexico is creating this problem, and the Mexican government in no way can sit back and say, well, it's not our fault. Our people are just, you know, they're just leaving. We have no control. Yes, they do. They've been handing out pamphlets. They've been handing out maps. They give their people water so they can come across the United States border illegally. They help them. They guide them. They tell them how to come here, and they give them pamphlets full of all the benefits they can get up here and how to get them and what to say. In other words, the lies to tell the you know welfare workers so you qualify even though you don't qualify but there's no way for these workers to verify what you're saying because you got no ID you're from Mexico you're here illegally and you're just telling them stories with it oh well if all that's true then you qualify but it, none of it is true but they have no way of verifying it because Obama through executive order which by the way is an act of treason has directed his agencies to not with not with uh, not with uh, enforce, enforce the law. law to directly ignore the law and not say oh wait a minute in a sensible normal world you know you come in and you go well hi I'm here illegally uh, can I have some money can I have a house can I have some education can I have some uh, you know, uh, 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 food stamps? Can I have some medical care? Can I have some, you know, the list goes on and on. Can I have a small business loan? Can I get all these things? And they go, oh, sure, sure you can, if you qualify. Well, they've already been coached on what to say to qualify. 
You see, because right. I know you deal with people that have to go to the welfare office for food stamps and right. assistance, right. and they got a list. There's right answers and there's wrong answers. The right answers, you qualify. The wrong answers, you walk out the door with nothing. Yeah. And that's the same way at the agencies. Exactly. And they are coached on the right answers. And as long as nobody can check out whether you're lying or telling the truth, well, they just got to take your answers as, okay, you answered all the things right, and we can't check it, so here's your check. Here's your welfare. Here's your housing. Here's your medical. Here's your education. You know, welcome to bankruptcy, Americans. You know, and that's, that's what's going on. And so the Mexican government rightfully should pay for the wall. Yeah, and and they do. They they give out the pamphlets. Even but even you know American. I mean you know we're the Obama administration. We'll just call it that. Are also making up the pamphlets and telling the people exactly what to say. And then they're even busing them and flying them from the border and just dispersing them all over the United States without telling anybody where they're going or, or right. so on and so forth. And but then just, there's even a worse thing about it. Go ahead. Because. So now you have Mexicans up here, they're getting welfare, they're getting food stamps, they may be getting a job and welfare and food stamps and all these things because nothing can be verified because these are basically invisible people with no past and no ID, no nothing. So whatever they say is what it has to be. There is no verifying anything with these people. So, and that goes for the Syrian refugees also. Okay, yeah. there's no way to verify anything about these people. There is no way to vet them. All right? You just got to take them at their word. Boy, surely they wouldn't lie, would they now? No, really. But the thing is, so they get over here and they start getting the money whatever way they get it, whether it's through welfare or working or some combination thereof, and then they send what is called remittances back to Mexico. Do you realize that remittances are the second biggest money maker for the country of Mexico? It is yeah. their biggest, you know, their biggest industry. Uh, uh, well, their second biggest industry is the money that they get sent back into Mexico. So what happens is Julio sends uh, Raul, his brother, down in Mexico, a check every month. Well, Raul down in Mexico, he takes that American money and he spends it down there in Mexico. And right. that boosts their economy. Well, yeah. what does that do? If it boosts their economy, what does it do to our economy? Takes away from it. That's right. So you see all this BS about these Mexicans up here helping the economy. They're not helping the economy. And that's what Donald Trump has specifically, you know, oh, well, you know, how are you going to get the Mexicans to pay for it? Well, we're going to start tapping into these remittances. Right. No, right. You, let me, let me and, say and what that is, that and, and, and people might say, well, that just ain't right. But what it is, it's basically a reverse tariff. Go ahead. Yeah. Let me okay, um, folks. If you don't believe what we're saying about um, the Mexicans sending our money over there, you go to a now in Kansas. There's Dillon's store. You go to a Dillon's store, or let's say this, any place where there's a Western Union, and go there on a Friday night. Um, you know, like after four thirty in the afternoon, when normal people start getting off work, and see the lines to the to the um, help booth where they cash checks and they have Western Union because you'll see a line of Mexicans and other people, but they're sending, yep. you can see them, they're, using, they're all using Western Union and they're sending and you know where their else? paychecks. You know where else? Backwards. You know where yeah. else you can go that I know is everywhere? Where? Same time, same thing, just like Dan said, go to Walmart. They got a thing called MoneyGram. 
That's, oh, really? that's Walmart's Western Union. MoneyGram used to be, you know, independent, and then Walmart bought it. And, uh, yeah. you know, now that's Walmart's uh, Western Union. And basically the fees to send money are cheaper for MoneyGram than it is Western Union. So you can go to any Walmart and check that out. And you know what? I, I was just experiencing that two weeks ago. Yeah. There was a line out the door. Yeah. Uh, and you usually go on Friday. Um, I do. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's right. And, folks, you really should do that. Just for one, I mean, go on a Friday night. And probably the better example is Walmart because, you know what, Frank, I had noticed that in the last uh, couple of years that Dylan's on Friday night has, you know, slowed down, you know, on that. So that's where they're all at. They're in Walmart. Well, of course, Walmart takes away money-making things from everybody, and that's a whole other radio program. Oh, boy, it sure is. But, you know, their fees are cheaper. And, you know, what are you no, going to do? You know, I mean, it's like, well, gee, you know, I can send my money Western. Plus, plus, down in Mexico, people can pick up their money at any Walmart. Right. And they're everywhere. You know, yeah. so it, it's a, it's cheaper and it's easier. But, you know, Western Union still has its customers because you may live somewhere where there is no uh, Walmart and there is only a Western Union, and then they send it Western Union, whatever works for them. But the fact of the matter is they are draining billions of dollars out of this country. And what Trump is suggesting is we're going to tap some of that. You know, I mean, look. It, there's just going to be a you're going to there's going to be a tax on it or a fee or or a tariff or whatever you want to call it whatever he could do to say listen you know if you're sending and it wouldn't be that hard of a thing look you're sending money no. outside the country okay there's going to be a twenty percent fee yeah sorry you know yeah. that's just the hey the cost of doing business baby that's the way it is too bad. You know, I mean, you go down to California, you're going to pay nine point something in in sales tax. Well, nobody likes that either, but people still buy things because, hey, that's just the way it is. And it could just be the same way with remittances. Sorry, anything, whether it's a postal money order or a money gram or whatever you want to do, if it's going outside the country, it's going to be 20%. Yeah. And that would fund the wall. And it would do it quickly because if you see, like you say, all the money that is going out of it, it's just ridiculous. Like with the lines out the door, that's a fact. That's billions of dollars, you know. So it's not a ridiculous idea. Now there could be some problems. Obviously, he's going to have problems doing it because there's so many people against it because they're all phonies in Congress. Okay, they and the problem is with this, they are really. And I want to leave people with this. This election, you you don't have to like Donald Trump. You don't have to hate Hillary Clinton. You don't have to think anything about the candidates. Just understand one thing. This election is about fundamentally one thing. It is globalism versus Americanism. That's it. That is what this election is really about. Now, am I thinking Donald Trump's going to be the perfect president or he's a perfect candidate? No. I, do I even think he's that good? No, not even that good. But, hey, he's got one thing going for him, and that is he's not Hillary Clinton. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that is what it's about. It is about globalism versus Americanism. Nothing more, nothing less. 
Right, absolutely. And I and I do believe I do also believe this though. It, it is also that um, you know people in this country, if you want less persecution as a Christian, you're going to pick Donald Trump um, because you know he he has made some promises to the evangelical community that to help stop some of that. So. Well, You're right. well, and the, and the bottom line is this: it doesn't matter what Donald Trump has said, and doesn't matter who he is. The fact is, globalists are hostile towards Christianity, but the American uh, history and society has always been pro-Christian. Right. Right, absolutely. So you're back to the same thing. Yep. Well, Frank, I really enjoyed having you on, and I want to talk to you some more about this. We'll do it in, in sometime within the next month, but uh, let's just put like a bookmark right here, okay. and we're going to come back to this program. Well, thanks for being on with me, but tell them where to find your program one more time. Uh, right here on American Voice Radio Network, uh, 8 p.m. Pacific, Monday through Thursday, 12 noon Pacific, uh, Monday through Friday, and uh, that's pretty much it. And thanks for having me on, Dan. All right. Be blessed. Well, folks, really, pray about supporting Wichita Mission Church and also pray about supporting radio. We must remember, though, there is only one God. He is your Father. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His Son is Yeshua HaMashiach. He gave his life for our repented sins, and he rose after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And through him, and only through him, is the way of the Father. Remember, always, 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 Always be a blessing to others. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's like praying for Messiah's return. Lord our God, Father, Father King Universe, asking you, Shah Hamashiach's name, that Father, that you would bless them and keep them, and that your face would shine upon them, and that you would be gracious to them and give them peace like no one or nothing else can. Until next Thursday, this is Pastor Dan saying goodbye and shalom. Just heard the Messiah's Branch broadcast featuring Pastor Dan. To contact Dan on the internet, go to messiahsbranch.org. To write to Dan, send a note to Messiah's Branch, 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Tune in next time for the Messiah's Branch.
The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserved or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
Welcome, welcome. I'm speaking slowly and hopefully clearly because I'm in a car on in the fog in Half Moon Bay, and I don't know how that will affect the reception of our hiccups. So, uh, this is the Sulfur Hour Plus One. My name is Patrick McGeehan. I hope John's listening or on here because he may have to do more talking because we're being chased by the mafia. Um, so, Richard, oh. are you there? Hello. Was that a yes? Okay, you're not. Was that a? You're not there. Okay, I hear you. <laughs> okay, fantastic. John, are you there? John. All right. Well, maybe John's being bashful. Adam, have you joined us? Is a very serious question for you. Adam, could we have lost him down here? Somebody say something, otherwise we may have lost the signal. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, 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 hello. Okay, so Adam's not there and John's not there. Do you know where the eucalyptus originally came from, Richard? Where what came from? The eucalyptus tree. Well, it doesn't really come from a mother tree, a, a nut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but where did where did the mama eucalyptus tree come from? Ah, uh, well, of course. Now you're getting into the, you're getting into spirituality oh, and creation. Well, that's that's why I wanted to ask Adam that question, but I don't think he's there yet. I know John doesn't know that because there's no Saint Eucalyptus. Huh. That that was a tree joke. Oh, All right, so what have you been up to since we last we last spoke? Well, it all comes down to words. There's no doubt about that. Repeat. I didn't hear that. Everything comes down to words. That's what our problem is. Oh, I thought you said water badly, but words, I agree. I mean, you're an MD. How do I get rid of these hiccups? Get rid of what? I have the hiccups. Oh, very annoying. Uh, if you just pinch your nose, just pinch your nose, yeah. or you can pinch yeah. your earlobes and pull on your earlobes. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. Now, I like that. Oh, yeah. I think it's working. Oh, I have the wrong earlobe. I don't know if you have earlobe because I just... I just yeah, well, I mean, it improves I your vision. It improves your vision oh. also. <laughs> By the way, we're, we're passing... The- a wonderful Christmas tree uh, farm here in California. Yeah. Uh, There's just pretty little Christmas tree farms there at the village. Yeah. Yeah. Santa's Village, they grow Christmas trees. Well, I, I, they, they let me, Richard, they let me out of the state. I was yeah. I left Utah. They have him now. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, we're, they're trying to capture us now, but I think we... But we met some of these most wonderful trees. I don't, you know, I don't know that what kind of trees you have in Indiana. Oh, we have a lot of trees. Almond, you know, uh, uh, we have almond trees. We have a great variety. 
hickory and oak and eucalyptus. Uh, you, you name it, we've got it. Beech. We've got no eucalyptus. Uh, sons of beeches, too. <laughs> the, um, you have to watch out for them when it gets dark. Oh, yes. No back, no black alleys. Right, exactly. So the um, uh, I'm writing with Bob Leff, who's the most remarkable electrician. We've been going around electrifying things in Cal- California next to these big obscene trees. Some of the trees have that means obscene part. And that's on the part of me, I have the hiccups. But so the uh, um, I've seen boats on water that could go someplace. And I'm from Utah where the boats don't go anywhere. They just go round and around and around and around. But there's a boat down here that can go places. <laughs> you know, maybe oh, is that a winery? Oh, okay. So um, you know, so I'm at the age of seventy I'm being uh, it's like I'm it's this the first Daddy, thank you for bringing me to California. Yeah. yeah, Bob's a lot younger than I am, but he he can play the role. He's he's done jousting amongst the uh, amongst the uh, Renaissance fair people. So, why do you think that John and Adam aren't there? I am here. Aha! Hear where where did, where was the Mama eucalyptus tree from? The eucalyptus tree, they're from uh, Australia, I believe. There's about two or three hundred different types of them there. Well, because I'm, I'm in California now, and, all, and there's these eucalyptus trees, and we'll be able to solve the homeless problem. Yeah, they all came from Australia. They put them here as windbreaks, mostly, as I understand it. Well, they did a nice job. I mean, these trees talk. I mean, if you, I mean, you don't go hug one. That's stupid. But if you just stand amongst them and you learn some certain druidic, you know, statements and stuff, uh, you know, you can talk to them. Yes, you can. I love it, trees, especially in Northern California, the redwoods and the sequoias, those beautiful forests. Well, we have the... Uh, we have the disturbed forest here. I think we're on about the sixth growth here. And finally, they decided on the eucalyptus. I think we had a lot more redwoods here, but it was like early, middle 1800s. That they, they all faded out. Yeah, a long time ago. What? Oh, my voice? Yeah, you're faded. Clear out. Oh, am I here now? Fair no, uh, it was sort of a, a click in your, in your voice became faint. Oh, okay. It's going to get better. We're going through a, a bit of a pass here. When we're coming down into Half Moon Bay. Oh. You can speak amongst yourselves while I have the hiccups and while we're trying to get to the place where we can stop and be less noisy. Now you're also, coming back. Dr. Stepp hasn't played his harmonica for a while. Uh-huh. Well, you know, and that's true. Yeah, a long and time. Now hasn't been able to play, yeah, to play his violin for a long time. 
That's so right. He hasn't been any place for a long time. <laughs> well, uh, it's out of tune. <laughs> it's out of tune. I need a tremolo for my, and right. that costs a hundred dollars. And I've been asking yeah. Santa Claus to bring me one. <laughs> a, a new, a new harmonica. Interesting. Yeah, I need a tremolo. Huh? Are you? Oh, oh. Oh, you, you know, what was the name of the group? What was it, the Harmonicats? What was the guy's name? Yep, the Harmonicats. They were good. But what, but what was the guy's name who started the Harmonicats? You got me on that. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but I, the important thing is they could play Lady of Spain and put, uh, you know, squeeze box people to shame. <laughs> That's that's a bit of music trivia. I'm sorry, I didn't really borrow it before. See, I have hiccups. Um, so, uh, what what's happened in this traveling down here is that uh, my eyes have been opened. I I have seen the trees. I understand why <laughs> the Irish were druidics. I understand. I mean, you know, having. I mean. Sometimes the Scots would get too fond of their sheep, but I think the, the Druids shouldn't get that fond of the trees. But the trees are so important because without the trees, Adam, how do we breathe? That's true. Well, the seaweed and things like that will suffice somewhat, but the trees, if they're gone, we will have major problems and disaster. Well, I thought, no, we're, we're already having that. I mean, we're... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kind of agree. I, the redwood tree, whenever you cut one down, you get five in its place. <laughs> yeah, little bitty twigs. <laughs> well, it I, takes it, and then what happens is the five of them grow together again, and that's how you get one monster tree. Did you go, how oh, could this tree have been yeah. so huge? Oh, is that mine? Even in East hey, Texas, we used to have trees that were as, almost as wide across as uh, redwoods, and then they got cut down. Now you just see trees, you know, about a foot across or whatever all over the place at the most. So all those big, giant trees all over the country have been are gone, the so-called old-growth forest. What, uh, what kind of trees did you have in West Texas? East Texas, and I'm... In West Texas, if you cut down a tree, you get hanged. But in East Texas, there's lots of trees. They have the piney woods. And some of the trees there, I was amazed. I lived up there for a couple of years, and I was amazed at how large the old photographs are with the trees. It looked like the sequoias. But now if you go up there, you don't find anything that large or near that large. Is this an eastern pine? What kind of tree got that big out there? Wow. You know, I'm not sure what, there were several trees, so what that kind of tree was, I'd have to research it, but they were huge, and and they nece- weren't necessarily pine tree. They might have been related to redwood. You know, there's these giant trees in New Zealand, uh, whatever they call those, that are huge, the redwoods or sequoias of New Zealand, that are going extinct because of some kind of a virus or fungus or something. Huh. Well, you know, it could be it could be God's finally upset with the people who are hanging up on the bottom of the earth. 
<laughs> could be. Yeah. They um our our footprint and the way that we affect what's going on is not truly understood, but it's I understanding a little bit better being in California because California's been doing it longer than Utah and you know, and, and yet these people in the wheelchairs that are crossing the road are still in wheelchairs. Who gave them permission to be on our watch on wheelchairs? No, wheel, wheelchairs are, they're fine for little babies, but for adults, you're supposed to be able to walk, you know? You're supposed to carry your own weight. <laughs> you know? And then, you know, hey, we're, we've been busy today, and we've got all these people talking to their cell phones and talking to their tablets and talking and talking and talking, and no one took your parking place. fantastic. So, being that I'm on the road, um, giving Cindy a break from uh, from uh, from me uh, and learning stuff. Uh, I w- I would like Richard and Adam to, to help us carry this show out because John had all this information he was going to bring to us, and uh, especially since he wasn't flying with those people anymore. So uh, if 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 someone would like to bring up a topic because we're about to get really quiet. The car is stopping. The windows are going in and all that stuff's being turned off. And it'll be much easier for you to hear us except that we'll make noise. Are we going to unplug this phone? Yeah. You sure? I could do that. Well, a uh, good subject would be Hillary. Hillary Clinton. And uh, her affliction, um, specifically her uh, Parkinsonism symptoms. She's having quite a few symptoms of Parkinsonism. Uh, and then she's on uh, medicine. It's given her dyskinesia. Well, you know, the interesting thing about, yeah, the interesting thing about that is Parkinsonian syndrome is not common among women. Well, uh, what I was getting at is organic sulfur would help her tremendously. Oh, okay. The organic sulfur would make dill reasonable. You know, I mean, this is the thing about this. No, nowhere in time is, has a man who has been president about to be the first late lady of the White House, or the first dude. You know, the first dude. You know, maybe she'll follow you know Pat Nixon and start drinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we are now. We are now in a. Uh, in an exclusive abode in Half Moon Bay, and oh, we're going to kitchen is the best place to be. So the, um, uh, but you know, before, I mean, which which of our which of our pre- presidents died in office because they just died? He was poisoned, according to some sources. What was his name? He was uh, a general. Who? And he died, his inauguration, I think he died right after. They blame strawberries and milk, but I've never heard of anyone being poisoned with strawberries and milk. Uh, well, um, nor have I. Uh, Richard may have heard of somebody who's been poisoned with strawberries and milk. Uh, but I haven't. That's, that's a new one on me. Uh, but, you know, but, but, the, but the point is... Um, 
Well, Excuse me, cherries and milk is what he got poisoned with. It was Zachary Taylor. Oh, now, I, I've heard you don't do cherries and milk from my grandmother, who's now dead. Hmm. So it's possible that's true. It's cherries and so milk. Hmm. I don't know. They said he was in the July sun, but... Here was a general, you know, Zachary Taylor had been in some of the roughest situations on earth in Mexico and other places as a general head of the army. And uh, here he gets out in the sun just for a little bit and uh, dies from cherries and milk. Some other people say cucumbers and they're all these historians are making up different foods. And it's very likely there's a lot of evidence saying he was poisoned. Well, sure. I mean, why not? You know, <laughs> I mean, that's a good way to get rid of people. Can you hear Bob when he says that? Did you hear him when he's up there? Yep, I heard him. You're low, but I can hear. Well, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll sit in the chair. We'll whip him. He just, we, I, see, I have coerced him to be on the radio show tonight because I'm I'm his shadow. <laughs> I've been shadowing all over the bay. I've been shadowing all over here, all over there. And, and when, when when evil people come around, I, I, I put up this little sign that says I'm the shadow. Well, I, I've been taking him out to all these electrical jobs and saying he's shadowing me. And I'm not totally saying why or anything. You know, this is California. And I'm like, whatever. you got this guy trying. But he's got a camera. See, so there's some kind of legitimacy because he just starts photographing everything. <laughs> and so, you know, he's a shadow with a camera. Well, as long as we're not talking Jungian shadows here. Yo, no, 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 because no, <laughs> think about it. And Jung, 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 a Jung didn't ever have a mother. <laughs> what? Well, what? well, you know, I made the statement, now someone challenged it. Jung never had a mother. He had a mistress or two. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't have a mother. Oh. <laughs> he could have been. He could have been uh, from a eucalyptus tree. Aha! Uh-huh. Oh, that's, that's a little. See, what I do is I I work as an electrician, and I had a lot of problems, you know, especially here in California. You know, we have a lot of lone wolves and kind of whack jobs running around. <laughs> so I made up these. Um, uh, they go around your neck, you know. They're the cards. And and they say authorized personnel on them <laughs> with a picture, and, I, and that's all I need, okay? And and everything's totally fine because it says authorized personnel, and there's a picture of me, okay? That makes a lot more comfortable, you know. They, that was, that's dead air. We can't have dead air. We, you, you well, I was waiting for a response. I, yeah, I don't know. Like, we all feel this way. The, well, on Antares. Yes. Uh, are California women allowed on Antares? On, on uh, sure. I, why not? <laughs> Well, I don't Anybody, know. you can have a migration to Antares. We're probably going to need to because eventually the uh, the uh, Earth is going to fall into the sun. It's like the story of the student comes up to the teacher and says, 
How long did you say till the earth is going to fall into the sun? A hundred million years. Oh, thank God. I thought you said 50 million years. <laughs> I guess it's all relative. Yeah, and the, and the sixth extinction can be avoided if we stop burning anything. <laughs> I mean, that, that, I think that's an easy statement to make. We'd probably give the Earth some more uh, time if we added some more sulfur to the soil, right? Right. Oh, no, sir, that's what I'm talking about, not sulfites and things like that, like the chemical industries want to give us. Uh, so the, the chemical industries want to give us sulfites? No, yeah. you bring the trees back, you'll bring the rain back to California, but uh, they actually are blaming the trees for the drought. The other way around, I saw an article in the LA Times about that. When it's been true, if you go back into the old books on tree ecology, a hundred years ago, they consistently planted trees and brought the rain back to drought-stricken areas as a regular basis, but now it seems to be ecological amnesia, they've forgotten about that. Even a pine tree will actually collect the rain or the moisture out of the air and drip it down in water itself. That's true. Um, it, the, uh, it, it, you know, I, I, we're not by the sequoias, we're by the eucalyptus trees. And back in Utah, we have pine trees that grow where they shouldn't grow. They grow, you know, 12,000 feet. Pine trees aren't supposed to grow at 12,000 feet. Wow. That is tall. That's, I mean, high. 
<laughs> Quite an altitude. Well, I know what happened is someone moved the earth. Uh, you know, there's rock faulting and earthquakes and, and volcanoes, which is what you are made of. <laughs> so these countries end up being on top of this 7,000-foot dirt oh, at 12,000 feet. Intermission, music. Who didn't want to fight? The other children laughed at him. It was a frightening sight. And I, I began to cry. Someone has won. Someone has what for Something inside of me 
Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $140. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
Welcome back. This is the Sulphur Hour Plus One on American Voice Radio Network. We've had some difficulties. I'm in California instead of in Utah. I'm still the same person, I believe. And um, the some of the people don't know exactly why we're here in Utah, and that's okay. But I'd like to thank you and thank them for the fact that we're in California and I'm able to hook up with Bob Lynn, an, an amazing, I think, are you sure you're not alien? No, I am alien. Adam, have you ever heard of a, of a one-legged judge named Les? One-legged judge named who? Les, L-E-S-S. No. No. Well, Can't the secret's been well kept. Yeah, and I hadn't either. But see, that, and that's and that's where that's where Bob came from was uh, one legged judge. Well, was he the hanging judge? Yes. Oh, oh, worse than that, he was in well, he was in Pecos. He was in Pecos, Texas, I believe. That was uh, Judge Roy Bean. No, no, he was in San. What in San Francisco? He was a uh, a labor lawyer. He's a labor lawyer who became a one legged judge. Uh-huh. Oh. Was there, oh, well, we can still, we can uh, elevate him to judge. All right, he was never a judge, but we're elevating him to judgehood. <laughs> okay, I'm going to explore it here, okay? Okay, come on, let's be Okay, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, much better now. This is a story about my one-legged father. As a teenager growing up, looking through my friend's albums, I come across my dad's signature on the back of an album. And the name of the album was Last Days of the Fillmore. And it was a letter from him as chairman of the Mental Health Board of San Francisco. They actually used to have something like that here before they got rid of it all. But he was commending Bill Graham who made Winterland, or the Fillmore, for all the years of service that he had done to the teenagers in San Francisco. And it was on the back of the last days of the Fillmore album, there was a letter from Erwin Leff, chairman of the Mental Health Board. So that's the story about my one-legged dad. I'm like, cool, dude. I didn't hear that. Okay. No, I didn't hear what you asked, Adam. Oh, no, I said that's an interesting story. Great. Well, you know, we could make them up, but it's so interesting that you don't have to. I mean, we make up that you're from Paris, but that's I, that's just for local colors. I knew someone who was a projectionist at the Fillmore, but I have forgotten his name. He lives in Tucson, Arizona now. Last I heard. Yeah, some, some of those guys, the projectionists and the uh, light show guys, uh, didn't last that long because they were using carbon tat for the ah. for the light shows. And uh, that's kind of toxic on your fingers. It's all toxic in your lungs. There are certain things you shouldn't breathe, and carbon tetrachloride is one of them. Mm. Last so I saw him, he was uh, he put a projection and a dance floor in his house in Tucson, up in the hills, 
and had two complete glass windows on the sides of the house with stage curtains that he could open up at night. It was a pretty cool place. Oh, that is so cool. I'm yeah. trying to talk my woman friend here into getting stage curtains because we want to get the vibrations away. So I want to hang curtains on a couple of the walls and end the problem. Yeah, they had to water the cactus, though, because the, uh, the dancers in the house, the, the cactus would lean toward the house. So they finally had to water the cactus to keep them straight, the saguaros. Well, you, know, you would think they could stand up straight on their own. <laughs> they wanted to water, so they were leaning toward the house trying to get to it. <laughs> well, the... Um we were discussing that we really don't know how to speak eucalyptus tree. Patrick's must have never seen a eucalyptus tree before. Um, here in California, we have a lot of them. And then we got these silly uh, folks that, because every once in a while, we have to have a, uh, a thing, you know, because we're Californians, so people, you got to get into something, you know, some <laughs> project or plan. So this one was the Native Plant Society decided that these 150-year-old eucalyptus trees had to go so that, because they weren't natural. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so... They were related to Obama, but so they had passports. We got a lot of timber, you know, people to whack the trees. You know, we got we just totally hired a bunch of, you know, a lot of people at work, and... So we lost a lot of eucalyptus during that period to get the natives back, you know. But then they started having problems with the natives coming back, you know, because the pH of the soil had changed so radically from when the natives were there, and these guys weren't intelligent enough to take it to that level. So hmm. I think the eucalyptus are all coming back again. That's good. Oh, if they got rid of them down here, they'd get rid of half the trees in Southern California. Yeah. Actually, in Santa Barbara, no, we had a kind of an invasion of horticulturists about 1900 and before. And so they planted every tree uh -huh. in the world around here. There's exotic trees from just about every country on Earth. Wow. And where did you say you are? I'm in Montecito, California, which is a suburb of uh, Santa Barbara. And uh, all of these horticulturists came to this area. So there's uh, botanical gardens all over the place and various trees from Africa and Indonesia and all over. Very, very unique trees, Moreton Bay Fig. The Moreton Bay Fig is actually the most famous uh, one in these parts. But we have records because uh, the soil here is 365 feet deep, the alluvial soil. So there's all oh, kinds of records for the biggest laurel tree in California, the biggest Moreton Bay fig, the biggest grapevine, get this, one mile long. They cut it down for the Chicago wow. Pearls Fair, but they still have a street here, Para Grande, that's named after that. And the second biggest in the world was in Carpinteria, a mere 10 miles away from here. Half a wow. mile. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Um, so what would you consider your climate? Yeah, the climate is really unusual here because the mountains run east to west instead of north to south. So you get a, a cooler summer and a uh, warmer winter. It's really uh, kind of, in fact, Carpinteria, 10 miles away, 
used to be called the Eden of the country because the temperature was, didn't change much all year. It, cha- it changed less than any other city in the U.S. I, used to, I lived there for about 10 years. I really liked it. World's safest beach, they advertised, too. Let me ask you a question. Have they run you out of every town you've ever been in? I guess so. Yeah, I've been in a lot of towns. I think I ran myself out of them. Well, where did you start out? (laughs) What? I started out in uh, Jersey City, New Jersey, where I was born. And then moved to California when I found out I had two half-brothers that I didn't know about. And so we moved out here when my mother was reunited with them after 23 years of being separated from them. So that's how I got to uh, Pacoima, California. And once I grew up, I started moving around a lot. Spent time in Arizona, Ohio, uh, Portland, Texas, you name it. Yeah, this this kind of running around hood. Well, no, it's, it's, um, I know that the Antarians don't do this, but uh, the Apaches and the uh, uh, you know the the desert tribes they they go on a vision quest. Sometimes it involves peyote, sometimes it's just a lot of, a lot of steam, sometimes a lot of, a lot of smoke, you know, and, and they and they and they can travel into the future and they can figure out which chocolate bars not to buy. <laughs> That's the purpose of a vision quest. Okay. Sort of. Yeah. Well, you know, a friend of mine has updated that. Someone called him up and knew he spent some time with the Indians, so he said, what's a vision quest? He said, here's the new one. You uh, buy a ticket to a 1,000 miles away from your living now and get off the plane with no money, and, and, then, and then within uh, within one month come back with $1,000 in your pocket. That's the new age vision quest. And so the guy said, oh, thank you. And That's a good one. That's a really good one. I like that. It makes total sense because you have a focus, you see. And in America, that's a great focus, a thousand bucks, round number, you know. Means you've got to survive, you've got everything dialed, and you come back, and it has to be exactly a thousand, not eleven hundred. You know what I mean? You've got to yep. come back with exactly a thousand bucks. That's That's the art right yeah, it was a great idea. My friend had some really good ideas. He's up in Idaho now, uh, is becoming a farmer, actually. Is he really? Yeah, 40 acres yeah, of uh, forest up there, and they're growing their own apples and berries and tomatoes. In the 400 and so pounds, they're canning them and selling them. And uh, uh, I had no idea he was into... Uh, Gardening. I've known him as into the consciousness movement, and uh, now he's a farmer. Well, loving it. Adam, they're the same. You know, our consciousness comes from the food we eat. You know, you can go on a you can go on a two two thousand day fast and you're dead. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't agree with that? Okay. So, but what we eat allows our brain to process what we learned. And if we don't we don't eat properly, then we can't process what we've learned. We can't pull it back up. So everything we've learned is sort of lost. That's why we have you on the show, so we can remember all that stuff. Yep, <laughs> true. That was. By the that way, was, Carol yeah. Crosby so, sent me an email, and 
wants to talk about the two-party system and that they won't let the third and fourth parties uh, into the uh, debates. But this is old hat. Michael Badnerick of the yeah. uh, Libertarian Party was handcuffed to the Green Party guy when they tried to go into uh, a debate, and I think it wasn't even the live debate. I think it was in a uh, in a place where the TV screen was. I know Ralph Nader was banned from the debates, so this is not new. Yeah. We don't like the Ralph third party in this country. Well, yeah, Ralph, Ralph, yeah. Has it. Ralph set the automobile business back 70 years. So, you know, the fact that he got banned is just fine, you know. If, if you're an attorney and you don't know squat about automobiles or aerodynamics or anything, then you can cause a lot of trouble. And he did. And, you know, and, and, he, and he, he saved VW's tail. I mean, he was the only other rear-wheel drive, you know, front rear engine air-cooled. And, they, you know, and now they're having to cheat to sell their cars. They have to cheat to sell their cars. Uh-huh. Uh, Nader's worried about this Corvair that was sort of fun to drive. It was, well, so I have mixed emotions about Nader, but I don't like all the laws and regulations we have. In California, this year already we're above 800 passed in the state alone, this one state, not counting the counties, the cities, the federal, just this state, over 800. And it goes over 800 the, one that the last I find couple of years, too. What the heck yeah. kind of law? You, know, one that I you have to be three feet away from a bicycle, or you have to do this and do that. You can't possibly keep track of what all these laws are, and that's the purpose, I'm sure. Well, if if you come within nine feet of a child anywhere during the next year, you you have you have to you you have to be vaccinated. Yeah. I mean, By the way, in, did you get? I think you got my email yeah. about the uh, Buster Keaton's father. Back then, they tried forced uh, yeah, yeah. vaccinations back in 1906, I believe it was. They three men came to the door to coerce them to take vaccinations, and Buster Keaton reports that his father Joe downed all three with one kick. He was a great athlete. Well, and so. You know, the, uh, as far as the mandatory vaccinations in California, I really am sort of curious that how the son of a relatively good governor, if there is such a thing, uh, Pat Brown, could become such a scallywag. They were both I, on I the payroll of the Chicago Mafia, including Reagan. Actually, we had three or four governors in a row that were. The uh, Mafia didn't lose its power over Hollywood. It was it was powerful for about 60 years. Now, supposedly, it's lost its power, but the men who work for them have still got their money. They just don't do as many illegal things now, and it's become international. But Reagan actually well, now they should be- to California by the mafia to do that, and both Brown and his son, both of them were on the payroll of the mafia directly, and their elections were rigged so that they could make sure that they became elected. So I've, I've got to dig up my dad and tell my dad that Pat Brown really was a pretty nice guy because he was a good friend of my dad. Yep, he was a just now a mafia guy. It doesn't make him a bad guy. You know, Tony Accardo was the one who ran it, and uh, Murray the Hump, uh, the Hump, what was it, Humphreys, Humphreys. They ran it, and they... and. Uh, they say the Jews rule Hollywood, but they just work for the Italian mob. 
Actually, Humphreys, I believe, yeah. was a Welsh man. I, but anyway, Sidney Korczak ran the Hollywood for the Mafia since the days of Willie Bioff when he first took over the unions in Hollywood and the Teamsters. We, we, listen, we listen to a very, very uh, low-voiced oh. low uh, person. I mean, I'm new. I'm new at Carolyn Casey. And, oh yes, uh, and, I and know I her. Gonna... I actually know her. Yeah, well, okay. well talking I, about the I need, I, you she, need she was on KPFA. Okay, well, and, I, you, I, you know, I keep Austin doing. This is the last time I saw her. Okay, well now she's here. I haven't heard of her. And now, yeah, yeah, it's it's like Kirk Douglas and all the other people. I want you to get on the show. You need to get her on our show. <laughs> okay, please. <laughs> She probably doesn't you know, remember. You can't get Oprah and Ellen. Hey, that's fine. Just get Carolyn. We don't want Oprah and Ellen. We want Carolyn. Carolyn, she was <laughs> making some serious things. She was good. I was listening to the yeah, car radio. talking about a Jungian. <laughs> a Jungian astrologer. Well, but, you know, we don't hold those kind of things against people. Well, I've been studying astrology pretty heavily. Not a And uh, Carolyn is on it because... Uh, there's a couple of guys that I've been studying. One is Dane Rudrin, and he he was in his prime in the 60s. It's pretty much a, a psych astro, uh, let's say, astro psychology or a sense where you use it, uh, astrology and psychology together. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, like a Dane Rudrin. I'm familiar with him. He was one of my favorites. Who's that? Uh, Dane Rudger. Am I pronouncing his last name correctly? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I've been really heavily into his book now. I just started the one on consciousness. That guy is a trip. He is. I I guess he's on cosmic vacation now. Great guy. Actually, he left uh, in 1985. Just looked it up. Okay, that makes sense. Now, hold it just a minute. Now, the other thing, Adam, is you have to convince these people to stop leaving. <laughs> you know, hey, hey, if they want to go, man. No, 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 no. No, no, no. The only requirement in the cellular matrix study is you have to agree not to die. By the way, when we come back for the break, which is coming up, I have a story about someone who refused to die during the American Revolution. It's one of the most unusual stories I ever heard to be continued. Oh, well, then... Okay, well, do you want to tease us with a name or anything like that? Uh, his name was Samuel Whitemore. He, left, he lived to 96 under very adverse circumstances, which I will relate. But okay, I don't think well, we have start, time. I think we're going to break work, yeah. in a minute. All right. Uh, yep. music, uh, see you in five. Listen to the music. Okay. Thank they say he wanted very far, very far over land and sea. A little shy and a satellite, but very wise was he.
just my way. And while we spoke of many things, fools and kings, this he said to me. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere 
with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Radio. It's the uh, 11th of uh, August, 2016, and we have our special guest, Bob Leff, who's an electri- electrician extraordinaire and biology bio, uh, personality, along with Adam and Richard. And I don't know, is anybody else? Did John ever join us? John Panaguti, are you there? Okay. So he didn't. So no one else is joining us. So we're gonna. What we're gonna do is we're gonna trample down a rapid hole. Of you know, if you go up the nostril, the right nostril, you can get into the brain, and you see some stuff that Bob's gonna talk about right now. But for those people who want to know more about Adam, it's soul, solarchiming.com. Uh, that's Adam. it. Solarchiming.com. Check it out. We've got okay. really and, good sites. Yeah, and Richard doesn't. Richard Stump does not have a website, but you can find him being followed by the younger girls in in Muncie, Indiana. <laughs> and then John, who's not lying, I don't know what you know. We'll we'll find out what John's doing. And then all those other special guests that we were going to have on to discuss all the bad laws in California, um, and even Richard Penn. But right now we're going to delve into the mind. We're going to go up the right nostril, and we're going to make a left turn. It's a chiasm. We're going to go around around in the back and enter the mind from the visual cortex. Bob, this is Bob Left. Take it away. Man, I don't know how you respond with that kind of an opening. Mm-hmm. So I was I was interested of your interest in Dane Rudrar. How do you pronounce his last name? Uh, Rudrar, I thought it was. But, you know, I never, yeah, yeah, like, I like, just read like, his like, book. So like, what's your thing? It's like, what's your We, I live in the Bay Area, and one of the good things is we have good cars here, 
uh, and we have a good selection of cars, and we also have a good selection of books that come through. My mother, who is 92 and on sulfur, and her problem was that uh, she's British, uh, and she was born in Inja under the Raj. And so as she takes her sulfur, she gets more and she loses it in a nice way, as a 92-year-old woman would lose it. She goes back to Inja in front of the Raj. And the problem is, in her assisted living, we have to help you out of that. So I'll leave that at that. But anyway... um, so I've been, she's been on the sulfur, but I've been really following Dane pretty heavily, um, and I am following another astrologer uh, who has created something which takes it back into India <laughs> 20,000 years ago um, with the southern Indian stuff where they used uh, the days of the week as an important element, and each mm-hmm. day responding to a different planet. So well, that's on the cycle of our immunity, you know. It's called Circa Septon Rhythms. It happens in seven days, usually six to nine days. Yeah. But the perfect immunity is if you do it on seven days. And that's how your immune system responds. Like for tetanus and for uh, rabies, it takes seven days. We're, it's not a toxin to us. It's our own antibodies that kill us. A mouse will die instantly from a rabid bite. But a human being takes, uh, they kill themselves. Mm-hmm. How rude. I, uh, I've been working, we work on different planetary influences that are based on, for instance, in Spanish, Lunas Moon is Monday, Tuesday is Mars, Wednesday is Mercury, Thursday is Jupiter, Friday is Venus, Saturday is Saturn, Sunday is Sunday. And the energies that each planet brings to a person that's born on that day, assuming that they were came out naturally, which is more and more difficult these days because they're fucking everything up. That was invasion of another planetary uh, pterodactyl. This is a children's show, and we apologize. Forgive us. That was spelled with a P-H. You'll be punished later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. But the thing being here that if you have the attributes of the day, and basically what that is is that's your um, that's your energy and where you were on the planet, where the planet was when you were born, is having to do with the magnetic influences that is your perspective of life. So you have a perspective and you have an energy behind it depending on what day you were born. So wouldn't you know if Patrick was born on a Sunday? So he is a sun having the energy of the sun to drive whatever else he's got, which I don't want to get involved with because, you know. But but that is an interesting concept uh, to add the two together. the energy and the influences, and it makes sense to me, almost like uh, a trout knows where it was born and it goes back there automatically. We, our perspective is based on what planets were present when we were born, and that's how we see things. 
And so this is another element because you, you have in astrology people that are similar, but they're not similar, even though, so we say it has to do with the secular days of the week. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, well, the Earth connection why, is why called magnetic biovivaxis, is what I've heard it called, where you, the way, actually you're stronger when you face the direction of your birth, but it weakens you after a week due to the immunity effect. So if you were born to the east, you sleep with your head to the north. If you were born to the north, you sleep with your head to the east and solve that problem. Hey, that makes total sense. How do you find out? Well, like I was born to the east, so east is where I don't want to sleep with my head to, so I sleep with my head to the north in California. If I moved to Maine, then I would sleep with my head to... uh, the uh, east. Hmm. No, no, Adam, wait, let's see. Adam, no. right yeah, east still, wouldn't it be? Now you yeah. got me confused. No, that's <laughs> yeah. Well, Dickens used Adam, to uh, Adam, Adam, follow those Adam. rules, too. It's been Adam. known. You know, scientists denied it, but I found an article finally in, uh, in uh, Scientific American about how that east-west magnetic <laughs> flow actually existed. And the Takata effect is another example of that that was uh, found by a man named uh, Takata. Well, that's probably why they call it the Takata effect. So what is the Takata effect? Well, your energy at sunrise is tremendous. And uh, now there's modern versions of that. It turns out that the red light that is at sunrise and sunset is one of the strongest healing uh, lights of the day, not the noon one. The noon one, you can get vitamin D, but you get more from, you can even heal gamma radiation from the morning sunlight because the sun is really red, but due to our compensated vision, and you'll find this in Scientific American. I'm not making this stuff up. Uh, it actually would be, it's red. The sunlight is red at that time, and then it goes into orange, and then yellow finally ends up at blue and white when it's overhead, and then starts through the cycle down to red again. That's why you notice at sunset, the shadows are green. They're the complementary color of it. But we have compensated vision, so we see it as the same color throughout the day. And again, you'll find this in Scientific American and the scientific journals and the color books as well. And Nature Magazine. Adam, when did Scientific American start paying you? (laughs) Yes, I'm on the board of directors. I have... I have something to say about red. Um, I work with uh, agriculture, and we're finding that red is a critical component to growing some plants, particularly basil and lettuce. They like red, super strong red. Well, we expose ourselves to a 250-watt bulb, not infrared, but red bulb at nighttime here, and we uh, take advantage of it when we don't get out for yeah. for twilight. These LEDs that we use, we have two kinds. One are the white, and what that is is a blue LED with a bunch of rare earth phosphors and everything, so we have a high CRI color rendering of almost like daylight, like 95. And then we've been experimenting with the reds, which are pretty fascinating because they're around 660. And uh, they are just a straight frequency chip. 
660 is the one so we use too, great. but it has yeah. some of the other ones in it. Have... Yeah. And by the we way, uh, General Electric originally designed the fluorescent bulb, I mean the, the incandescent bulb to be similar to firelight so that it didn't mess with your circadian rhythms. They knew about that in 1926. So we use, we go one further, we only use yellow incandescent bulbs. Can't even get the white ones anymore anyway, but we've used yellow for some time. And then we use the red when we're not reading. I've got this wild LED in there now that must be, it's like 2000K. And it's, it's, it's made like an old bulb. Does that come out to where you are? You get it at a Home Depot? Mm-hmm. We stick to incandescent uh, pretty much. <laughs> well, this is an LED incandescent. It's pretty amazing. It's All 2K. Right. It comes in the shape of an old bulb, and it's these long strips of super small chips. It's, I like it. I, I have it on my boat going. It's like 7 watts or less. I think it's about a 4 watt. And we even eat foods on time, so uh, we don't have to worry so much about the blue light, though we're not exposed to it, because the ventromedial nucleus in the brain actually controls the timing just as well as the light in the superchiasmatic nuclei of the brain. And, of course, the SCN is the big thing in circadian rhythms they keep talking about. Well, we have a problems with all this blue light LED stuff we have, especially, you know, I mean, I really like the sodium lights, you know, the yellows, much more than their, their LED replacements, you know. I, I Us don't too. Think, That's why we I buy the bug lights have... now. And... <laughs> well, no, no, let me, let me remind you of something. Yeah, yeah. They, they, you guys have been so serious. Let me remind you. It was the sodium lights that caused Locke's wife to turn into a pillar of salt. Oh, my God. Well, I take extra salt. I'm immune. It's like a vaccination, <laughs> but it's a good time. <laughs> we need it all. We need it all. The, um, uh, you know, during the break, we heard uh, Corky, and I'm going to try to say it right because, you know, we're promoting it, Thrill Kill, who sang Nature Boy. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get him back on. He's, he's, he's having car trouble, so he hasn't been back into the studio to sing it again. Mm-hmm. I think now three weeks on sulfur. And if, if you go to if you go to YouTube and listen to Corky sing it, that was then with Spike doing the, the sort of uh, jazz background thing. Which, if you listen closely, it works. But but this is one of those songs about. You know, the greatest gift of all is to love and be loved in return. Amen. I mean, that's really what this show is all about. Yeah, this is what our show is all about. You know, how do we stop hating anybody? You know, while I've been in California, I haven't had a chance to hate anybody. (laughs) He said to people, he's from France. Frogs, he's what you're talking about. I mean, he's just from Frogs. Well, okay. Yeah, I had, I, you know, when Patrick comes to visit, usually I, I first have to register him at the local police station. And then I put up, usually I put posters up just around the places to say that this guy's going to be here, you know, just so, you know, it's just, I can, I can, uh, 
work through the day. You know, people, you know, they go, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's you know, I saw the poster. Yeah, you know? we, we're, we're trying to get Snowden to understand that, that we're a powerful force in the mm-hmm. world of force. You know, I mean, here's a guy who's trapped in Russia, and he has his pole dancer girlfriend, Lindsay Mills, and, you know, he's doing a little techno music and stuff, but I mean, what an opportunity to invade all of Russia, never free since Catherine the Great, with organic sulfur, and they will be dancing in the streets. Sounds I mean, like a plan to me. Of course. Yeah, I mean, what can it hurt? I mean, what, I mean, what, can, what can it hurt? Mm-hmm. So... Swami, uh, such as Ananda used to say, instead of a meeting of the minds that these politicians have, the international ones, they need a meeting of the hearts. Uh, yeah, you know, because if you if you can convince people that your heart is where things are, they may not hit you in the head as many times. <laughs> hey, I came up with one. You ready for this one? This is a new form of you know we have the credit bureaus? Well, we're going to have these spiritual bureaus. <laughs> and what happens is you get a score on how much service you've done, okay? You get you get judged on your service record of how much, like, like Mother Teresa, man, you know, she is, like, up there. You know what I mean? She's got a super high score. And they're always plotting. So whenever you do something good, you got to report it to the credit one of the banks, you know, and they put it down, okay, Bob, you know, he helped, like, all these handicapped people, oh, good, Bob, oh, no, that's worth this many points, you know. And so everybody is trying to get there as fast as they can to get the largest amount of points. And what happens is the more points you get, the more everybody gives you money and stuff, you know, because you're so high on your scores. So it, it just will self, it'll just self-run itself. You know? we, call, we call them preachers. But, the, but what Bob's talking about is, oh, so they're coming after us again. This is really bad. Have, have um, the Secretary of Love? Happening. Well, they're down here on the beach. Down here on the beach, and, and but some, somebody had, who had a hot shove just sort of changed the whole texture of the road by making the tire spin and go squeaky, squeaky, squeaky. Hmm. But... Do you own a Woody down there in a Southern Cal? I don't own one, no. Nope. <laughs> but I've seen enough of them down here in Southern Cal. Yeah, yeah. Well, they definitely you, still are hanging out at the beach once in a while. Uh, the Beach Boys live yeah. locally here, or at least some of them. Yeah. Really? You, you made a mention yep. that you had to load up two cars and leave because of the fires. Yeah, we almost had to. Our landlord's a musician, and, so and he, he's on tour all the time. Oh, because he's one of those he's one of those artiste guys, artistes. Yeah, global tours all the time. Oh, okay. Oh, that's even better. Um, so, because the, there's a there's a uh, uh, there's a uh, a fire uh, engine. A, a big boat fire engine that we could probably transfer up by you guys. For we the can next use time it, believe me. We've had, we've had fires close by here, about uh, 30 miles this way and about 56 miles this way. What is it, 30,000 acres burned in that last one? 
Yeah. You have a problem down there, you know, but you're on the coast. This is a fireboat, you know. And in, in, in 1989, the earthquake in San Francisco, um, there's a little dirty secret that San Francisco has never, I hope they don't take me out for this one. Uh, <laughs> they've never upgraded any of their facilities, okay, since 1906. So the yeah, city I... doesn't have the water pressure to put out any significant fires. Well, they have pumps that they can fire up to take salt water in and all, but the system is antique. And so the thing that re- there was a fire that started on the gas mains and, uh, in the marina district, and it was starting to go. And if it goes, you know what I mean? They're talking about tankers to put this stuff out. And so um, this one fireboat came upside and parked off the marina and basically single-handedly put the fire out. Wow. And so this boat was going up to scrap, and this guy bought it and refurbished it himself personally just so we can have it around in case something like that happened again. Hmm. So we can pick it up with a crane and slide it up to you. <laughs> Go down to you, yeah. Well, we, but I don't know. We could just probably put it out. I don't know. And the thing is in pretty good shape. We'd probably make the journey down there, you know, just to get it in close enough. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, one of the fires, a, a the nice one thing. up the coast there, that could have got close enough for part of it. We get our olives from a ranch there, and they did a backfire to at least save the olive trees, so we still get our fresh olives. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I was just reading about all the backfires they did in, in 1906. They they went a little crazy. <laughs> in the earthquake uh, in San Francisco, they, they <laughs> blew up half of the city for the firewall. For the fire, they, I could just picture all these guys, you know, these workers. It was our own little French Revolution. I think there's a little bit of that going on. But these guys are getting a little fun to take the whole neighborhood and blow it up. Oh, we need the fire block here. Oh, it's coming, you know. It is, it is quite interesting. You know? By the way, has the sky ever, <clears throat> excuse my voice, has the sky ever fallen in Antares? Nope. Chicken Little, uh, of course, we don't have Chicken Little, so we wouldn't know, perhaps. Okay, but do, do you have Mighty Mouse? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I like Captain Marvel. The villain called them, you big red cheese. Well, <laughs> well I, I know, but see, there, there are some people uh, comics who... made them stop. They sued the Captain yeah, Marvel. Yeah, yeah, I but now I, I want you, I want you to think of this because you're a friend of all creature, creatures, large and small. You know mm-hmm. the humble mouse. You know with with a good padded, uh, you know sweatshirt, and the ability to fly is a remarkable phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And especially if we're all flying with him. Did you <laughs> ever see Kaufman do? You did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. It was that impersonation of Richard Nixon doing Mighty Mouse. <laughs> and it was the first time I ever heard him speak. You know, By the way, after game. the next break, I'll tell you about Samuel Whitemore and the Revolution, because we're already <laughs> at the next break pretty soon.
Well, now, you know, this is what you do in radio is you set someone up. You say, and we'll go to the story, you know, and, 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 and oh, we're going to go to the story, you know, and you're waiting because it could be about Kim Kardashian. That's so, true. Or, or Actually, I can about, start it now. There was this man named Samuel Whitemore, and he was the yes, oldest yes. person recorded to join the revolution at uh, 78 years old. Well, at 80, he got in a battle. Oh. The British charged him. He took his musket and killed one. He drew two pistols and killed two more. And then they shot him in the face and blew his cheek off, stabbed him numerous times, and left him for dead. They brought him to Cat, uh, Cotton Tufts, M.D., cousin of John Adams, and he said, what are you bringing me this guy? He's gone. There's no way to save him. Well, he lived 16 more years and died at 96 years old. That's my story. The music. All right, and on that note, on that note, we'll see everyone in five. Come on back. <laughs> Thank you. The day that the rain came down. body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. 
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Thursday night hurts your ears. This is Patrick McGeehan. You're listening to the Self Hour Plus One. My co-host is Dr. Richard L. Stump from Muncie, Indiana. How's your beard, Richard? Oh, it's just growing bigger and bigger. I look more like Moses now. Like, well, you know, uh, was that was that your intention? Uh, not really. It's just my beard. Well, I heard there was a movement in Muncie, Indiana, to not look like Hillary Clinton. <laughs> hmm. How about that? And if you're if you're bearded, you don't look like Hillary Clinton. Ah, that's the strategy. Yeah. I I think so. You know, we have a fellow in Alaska who's I don't he's you know I don't know if he's really that bearded, but I I think he could make the distinction about a bearded woman. Well, he's Amish. 
Hmm. Well, I didn't mean to shut down the discussion there. You, know, you had just finished talking about whitefish. And there are, you know, there are a number of true stories just like the true story that you told, because I know you wouldn't make it up because you're from Antares. Nope. Another uh, true story is Dr. Stump. Look at him. He's 92, and he has all that energy and vitality. Mostly you talk to people in their 70s and 80s, and they sound all uh, uh, like that. And uh, Dr. Stump is encouraging. It's inspiring to listen to him talk every week. Oh, thank you very much. Well, you know, yeah, and we re-signed the contract with American Voice Radio for the next 25 years. Whoopee, <laughs> <laughs> 25 now, years? That's good. Pace, That's called optimism. Optimism. <laughs> you sound like Hillary. <laughs> hey, you know, I get a chance to talk to mostly 80-year-old girls. I'm lucky. I get a chance to talk to 80-year-old girls instead of 80-year-old boys until the 80-year-old boys come on board. But optimism, you know, when you're uh, when you call to complain about your menstrual cycle coming back, 80, and, and I can say, it'll pass. I, I, I feel like Gandalf sometimes. I, I can say, it'll pass. <laughs> or Obi-Wan Kenobi, it'll pass. Gandalf the gray so, or Gandalf the white? I, I, I'm, I'm not sure because I have I didn't see any. I, you know, I... I haven't even read all that stuff. I read them three times. I'm, re- I'm sorry. I can I even talk a little Elvis, like A. Elbert, Gothonio, Sullivan, Panamariel, Omenel, Aglor, Elenif. <laughs> well, now imagine uh, Dune, Frank Herbert. <laughs> I never read that. But you did, obviously. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you're, oh, you're, you know, he was, he was a, um, he was a person who knew what sand was, and he was a biologist and a botanist. And so the whole book is written about the idea, well, you know, if we take all the water away, what are we going to do? We're going to have to find it everywhere we can, including when we sacrifice our own kind. We have to take the water. You know, the greatest gift is not loved in return, but be able to give up your water to somebody. So I remember when I saw the movie, and I just wrote a blog about it on one radio network, by the way. The sandworms were drawn to rhythm, but not to arrhythmia. And the, and the Swami I studied with, he said, all consistency to uniform patterning will break you down, which is basically fractals. You know, they know that the heart, if it has a regular beat, you die. It has to have an irregular fractal beat. Yeah, I, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that you have a lot of trees on my terrace, but uh, you know, if you if you listen closely, the trees will speak to you. The trees rule on uh, on terrace. We're the subjects. We're the emissaries. Hey, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Bob, Bob, Bob is being a guest has expressed a thought that I think we should address here. So, Bob, tell oh, okay. Take Fractal beat, the concept of a fractal beat, because resonance is so much the way nature moves energy. So the subtlety of being in resonance or not being in resonance is the gradient that I would imagine is going to take us a little while to figure out. 
Yep. They're working on it now, making progress. Uh, and they're connecting circadian rhythms with it, definitely. That makes total sense. I know that I've said this to you and, you, and you haven't said a word about it, so you either think that Anthony Samsel is, is a crackpot or he's from uh, Jupiter. But all of the elements, the, the known elements, have frequencies. You know, and, and how they interact regarding those frequencies is ha- how we interact. But, I mean, the fact that Bob and I can get along is amazing because... As far as our geology is concerned, we really shouldn't we shouldn't even share the same No, I, I think that this concept of parallel consciousness is it's amazing that we all get together and get along. We're all <laughs> completely individual parallel consciousnesses in the same place, you know. And uh, it's quite interesting. One great composition, different notes. That's it. Very good. Well put. And uh, we, in Dayology, we have um, 84 signatures having to do with the day of the week that you're born and what your sun sign is. Ah. And it's interesting because once you get a signature, you know, so in the future it might be, I'm Bob of the uh, 7th. Let's see, I'm sorry, I'm the fifth ray, which is Thursday, and I'm of the twelfth, I'm a Sagittarius, you know, so you introduce yourself that way. I'm Bob of the twelfth house, or how to call it, the twelfth zodiac. Well, it's actually also, it's the season of Aquarius, when people of all colors realized that there were no colors. (laughs) There you go. That's why we don't get colored of a trauma. We're supposed to get clear of traumas. Well, that's very, very true, but I still have the hiccups. Then we get transparent. Well, like trans the, the parents. <laughs> I'd like to bring up a book. No, I think I'd like to bring up a, a book that goes right to the what we're talking about. Uh, Word, Controlled right, so Word Controlled Humans by John Harland. He's the author. Word Controlled Humans. Word, W-O-R-D. By John Harland. He's the author of Brave New World, A Different Projection. Now, his main theme is when you join a group, you lose your soul. The individual okay. is an individual thing. Well, it's just, I'm just saying what he he believes. The individual soul is the individual part of God. He wasn't from what makes you what you Richard, are. Richard, he wasn't from Muncie, Indiana. What do you think about that? Who? You. What do I think about what? I mean, you, what this guy said. The man that said word control humans are important. Well, he's going right to the same thing as Eustace Mullins and uh, their other uh, Thomas Sass, S V A S C. Oh, yeah. Uh, the psychologists and psychiatrists <coughs> captured our history about 200 years ago. Actually, oh. we, date, we date the takeover from Freud. 
for fraud. His name is really pronounced Freud. Uh, uh, it's not Freud. It, it's a Jewish name, and it's fraud. His father was Rabbi Freud. Right. Oh. You know, it's very, hang on. Oh, you know. Well, I'm just telling you what happened. He, uh, no, I know. He, I, I, he started psychiatry, and psychiatry is strictly BS. He was on cocaine when he wrote the book. Fortunately, he the wasn't name, a psychiatrist. He was a psychologist because they wouldn't allow Jews to be psychiatrists in Germany. I love that. Yeah. Hey, hey, now, Richard, Richard, just because you're 92 years old, you can't, you can't make those statements. But I agree. And uh, <laughs> Bruce Levine wrote a book. Uh, it was called the history of, or, no, it was just called psychiatry. And the psychologist paid to have it written. But it's an excellent book because it really does talk about the fact that like, psychiatrists have to wing it. I mean, they just have to wing it because they don't know anything. And so they go, oh, it's all words. That's the point I'm making. Psychiatry and psychology is strictly words. There's no content. We have a defender who's not allowed to talk, but she's really defending very, 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 very uh, strenuously. Um, well, I just want to say Freud in Beyond the Pleasure Principle, which was definitely induced his early cocaine years, was a rather good book. Later on, he got a little worked out with the penis envy and everything, but that had to do with his particular who he was writing for, just like bards have different audiences that they perform for. But his early books on the pleasure principle were awesome. I I think early Freud early was books really on it. Well, the, his books, book, the he was discussing the the book was named Beyond the Pleasure Principle. And he talked about the concept of nirvana. I happened to write a paper on it at the time I was in college. And I wrote, he had a nirvana principle. He was discussing the way uh, the development of the ego and how it has to separate from the mother and go toward the reality principle, which is the development of the child uh, facing uh, growing up and separating. And... A lot of these principles, which I think are significant and actually reflect archetypes that we see, well, that's, you know. That, that's, well, that's the evil part of what he, what he developed, that people would believe that type of thing, because uh, each individual child has a soul. And uh, it that's all comes true. down to the fact you cannot give a group uh, thought a soul. And put it in one no, order. Like you, it, you can't do that. No, no, but I God think... You no. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? It's that simple. I do. Oh, absolutely. And I believe in the soul, okay. and I believe and you the can't soul... Believe in the devil. The, you can't believe in the devil at the same time. And psychiatry is a work of the devil. Well, uh, I don't... I think that anything that brings enlightenment to the individual... Um, is is a good thing, you know. We're all individuals, and so the word and I think we all shit. listen to me. Listen to me. The word enlightenment is an evil word. It's part okay. of your uh, it's part of your worship of the serpent. You are enlightened when well, you know that the devil rules the earth. That's the whole point of enlightenment. 
You wake up to the fact well, that the devil rules, and he rules with words. No, 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 no. The, no, the, the devil does not rule. There's absolutely no way. There is well, more light than there is dark. Okay. Your elite believes he does. That's why they're the elite. They lie, lie, lie. Have you ever read about Christ? Read what he said. You're liars, and your father was the greatest spy of all, the devil. Well, the, the devil was. The thing the about, the thing about, well, you know, I mean, the concept of the devil worshiper is an interesting concept. All you have to do is read Eustace right. Mullins, The Curse of Canaan, just read it. The Curse of Canaan by Eustace Mullins. Read all right. of Mullins' books, and you'll change, you'll be a different person. I read it. He I wasn't impressed by it. Well, he I was impressed with point. his Fed book, but his one about the Jews was saying Charlie Chaplin was an evil Jew is a bit stretching it. Well, <laughs> because he made those sexual moves when he had his feet like that and walked. I thought that was kind of ridiculous, actually. But his book on the Fed was good, and his book on the medical system I liked. But as far as the Zionism thing, I just uh, don't buy that. I think the uh, Avenge, I think actually the Anglican Church and the uh, Quakers are the ones, if you look at the universities in this country, they're all ruled by these spin-offs, not the actual original religions. They're false religions now. And all of the universities were started by Methodists and uh, Episcopalians and Quakers and all of these other No, churches. no, no. Right here in Muncie, Indiana, we have the Ball Corporation set up Ball State University. And it's, and the, uh, it, the ball it's a center of liberalism in this country. The killer well, I'll tell you what, the really great originated in Muncie. The Ball University. I think the called? Internet. I think the that I use the Internet as my university now. All the universities were funded by the Rothschilds. You ought to know that. The Rockefellers no, and Rothschilds. No, the richest people in America were actually, uh, uh, let me think, uh, Gerard, who actually financed the entire War of 1812, started the first national bank of the U.S., then bought the whole bank single-handedly. There was a law against having a committee running the bank, so he bought it all, waited to the second uh, National Bank of the U.S., and then was the major financer of that. His name was Gerard, and it didn't have anything to do with the Rothschilds. He didn't start investing in the United States until 1828. Check it out. Also, hmm. John Jacob Astor was the other guy. Who uh, helped? Well, anything after anything after 1913 is a different story. We had developed the Fed. You know? Did you know that why they? Did you know why they sank the Titanic? Because they were trying to get rid of this one Jew, and they knew that he liked boat rides. I don't know about that one. And then right after that, they started the Fed. Look it well, up. The, the first Fed was in 1791. It had a 20-year go, and then the next one was in 1916, no, 1816 to 1836. Uh, right, but down. it was that period when they were really fighting hard to keep them back, and all they needed was this one guy gone, and he just happened to like uh, going on these on these uh, boat rides, you know. And once he was gone, um, then they started the Fed. 
if you look at the correlation of the beginning of the Fed at that time and the sinking of the Titanic, it's quite similar. Well, there's other reasons. I love a good uh, story. My grandfather missed the boat ride for the Titanic, fortunately. Oh, that was wise. Did he know? Did they tell him not to go, or was it like no, he, he was late? Space? He was late. You notice in the movie there were Swedes. I, was so, I love uh, that. He was one of the Swedes that was going to be on it. But it is interesting that the Titanic did sink in 1912, but I've never heard that story before. Well, if you if, if you look at the, all the details about the sinking and about no other boat was in the waters and they were all notifying him and it just so happened that the radio guy just happened to be gone during that period, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, just normal incident stuff. Well, well, everybody didn't get the that, that, Who was on that uh, was, boat? There were listen several. to me, just one minute. The Titanic was sunk by a Jew named Iceberg. <laughs> yeah, but there was a lot of boats around. Yeah, Iceberg. All right, that's not I love that one. We got Patrick going here. You know, they don't let him out too often, so we're honored. Well, he's a bad actor. You know Patrick's a bad actor. He keeps confessing. <laughs> uh, that's well, good. <laughs> well, I've never heard that. that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly what you speak. <laughs> he's dead. I mean, he's dead. I don't know how to tell you. I don't know what you speak. <laughs> ah, now, that's, as long as you're laughing, I know it's okay. You know, if I got you, you guys, hey, I got you guys going, didn't I? I got you going, didn't I? <laughs> well, you, you know, Richard, why do you, you know, I'm, you chose me to be on your radio show. You know that, don't you? <laughs> And you know, and well, so and why did that happen? Yeah, I mean that's the way it works. I didn't have a cold. It just shows you the, uh, that God is very powerful, and He's watching out for all of us, and He really don't have anything to worry about. He's right now playing out one of His greatest jokes: the collapse of the Fed. <laughs> <laughs> Then the, then the question is, will the whales and the elephants survive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but remember, it's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> Richard, that was very good. Very good. Bring it off. Well, you told her you were going to tell We've got about two minutes, and then the sun's going to set in California. I want to thank uh, Bob and Glory, who didn't say a thing. And and uh, Richard Stump and Adam Bergstrom and John who's somewhere somewhere and uh, and and Cindy and uh, David and what's her name at the place Renee 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 we'll, we'll meet Renee tomorrow we'll give you an update on that also then, the sun uh, has already sank here but you're a little bit west of us aren't you. Well, you know, we're in Half Moon Bay where they don't know what the sun looks like. See, they don't oh, know. Okay. The sun. Oh, all those trees. Oh, even, more, even the suns don't know because there's this, there's this cloud. Of, it's the it's the cloud of silence. Remember, like the cone of silence and, and uh, get smart. This is yeah. the cloud of silence. It comes over Half Moon Bay, and <laughs> and, and sometimes 
prayers don't reach God. It, I thought about the pine of silence. This is an update from a meteorological society. The sun sets here in Half Moon Bay. And we get to view it each each evening. It really happens. You, so it's, it's not a myth? <laughs> I hope you can hear these words because these are spoken by someone who knows reality. I know yes, John. I mean, yeah. voice there. Mm-hmm. Yes, oh yeah, we, 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 Bob and I could not make that up. To me, it's like trying to make up your voice or Richard's voice. See, only Patrick Feinigan can do that. We need to get him back from South America. And we'll see, we have to, what, what are the other things we have to get people to do? Um, contact your congressman and everyone you know and tell them that vaccines are dangerous and deadly and nasty and poo and we're supposed to love each other. Love, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, the song is to love and be loved in return. That's right. Nature boy. Yeah, exactly. And that King Cole. Well, no, of course you will Oh, okay. Well, you know, he's going to do it again, but his car's broke down. Uh, original version was written by Eden Abez. And Frenchman, yes. Oh. Or was he Belgium? He's probably I, Belgium. You know, yeah, you I can't think he was German or Belgium. Belgium, something like that. Jordan, yeah, he I was think one of the actual Belgium. nature boys, they call them, along with Gypsy Boots and others. Uh-huh. He lived wow, under the Hollywood say? sign. He camped out under the Hollywood sign and worked in a uh, health food cafeteria in Laurel Canyon. He played piano there. Oh, that is beautiful. Well, and then you know, he walked in and left his song with Nat King Cole, and Nat King and didn't give any address, so they tracked him down and paid him enough money so he could buy a ranch. Did he buy a ranch, or did he, he, did he go he to the He actually bought a ranch, and his friend Gypsy Boots lived with him there. Before that, they were living in Laurel Canyon up in the hills. <laughs> well, now probably there's houses well, places. I used to go hiking up in uh, oh, Laurel Canyon in the 50s, and you could still go through some uh, woodsy area, mostly Poison Oak, unfortunately. Well, yes, we know about that. You know, there. Um, um, we will actually meet in the trees. You know, we'll actually do a radio show from George Lucas's tree city. He doesn't know he's going to do this yet, but he, he will. And and, and, and uh, we will be overlooking the best cowboy wedding thing in the whole world. And we'll advertise them so much they'll just love us. And then the newlyweds can come up into the trees and just screw their reins up. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds romantic. Well, it's, it's terribly romantic, you know. And so uh, I, I, I want to thank everyone for being on the show tonight. And I'm sorry that we, you know, it's, we're, from, we're in another land. We've gone into the twilight zone, and we're here in Half Moon Bay where the sun sets. <laughs> Enjoy blue skies and green lights. Thank you. Good night. Good night, Richard. Tally ho, tally ho. Good night, John. The glow made out of gold.
No instructions or commandments. Laws of gravity or indecisions to uphold. Printed on the box I see. Acme's build a world to be. Take a chance, grab a piece. Help me to believe it. What kind of world do you want? They religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserve, 
preservatives, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com.
right, good evening all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steph, and you're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Thursday, August 11, 2016, about eight and a half minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. If that's when it is where you're at, we are live. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. And uh, you can go to our chat room or... Just go to the website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You will see the chat link. Plus, the archives are there, the schedule's there, everything's there that you need to know about this network. So head on off to the uh, website. Say hello to all the people in the uh, chat room. I am uh, I just stopped in there right now, and here I go. <laughs> anyway... Okay, so let's see. I know I, I told you what I was going to do tonight, and I am. And I have another thing. And I figure, well, you know what? I'll spend half of the show on one and half of the show on the other. And seeing as how the second part is a little longer if I take the break at the right time, which I plan to today, there's something else that you should know about. And uh, a lot of you might not have heard it. I mean, we've heard about the Trilateral Commission. We've heard about the, uh, you know, CFR and the Bilderbergers and, you know, all Bohemian Grove and all these little groups they've got going on all over the world. Have you ever heard, okay, have you ever heard of the Group of 30? Well... It's a pretty interesting little group of people. And there's actually 32 in it, so, you know. Hey, you know what? These globalists are never concerned with telling the truth, but they call it the group of 30, but there's actually 32 in there. So, hey, whatever. Here it is. The group of 30, established in 1978, is a private, nonprofit, international body composed of very senior representatives of the private and public sectors and academia. It aims to deepen understanding of international economic and financial issues to explore the international repercussions of decisions taken in the public and private sectors and to examine the choices available to market practitioners and policymakers. Well, let me just, you know, translate that for you. These are a bunch of globalists deciding how they're going to run the world. Market practitioners, yeah, okay, that's the CEOs in the so-called private sector. And policy makers, politicians, okay, that's who they're talking about. Globalist CEOs and globalist politicians. A little more about this group. The Group of 30 is a 501c3 not-for-profit not institution. Of course it must be because these men are all poor and they can't make a profit because they certainly don't want to ever pay any taxes on anything. Donations in support of our work, program, and activities are tax deductible. So, wait a minute. I thought you weren't allowed to be a tax deductible organization if you were purely political. And they are purely political, folks. They can talk all they want. But the decisions and the activities they are involved is in is purely 
political. Decisions are made by politicians. Policy, they're not policy makers, they're politicians. It's political. But yet they get to be a 501c3. I wonder how many times the IRS has investigated the group of 30. If your institution would like to become active in and support our work, please contact the group of 30. And it goes on with their, uh, their little deal there. Well, let's, uh, you know, they go on and on about things. Oh, here's a little quote in this that I, I want to remind you of. I know you've all heard it. Let me issue and control a nation's money, and I care not who writes the laws. That's right. Rothschild said that. Founder of the house of Rothschild. Huh. Nice, eh? Okay, let's go through who's in this little group, eh? Let's see here. I need to expand this a little bit so I can see. I mean, that's not working. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Paul Volcker. He's the chairman emeritus of the Group of 30. He's the former chairman of the Federal Reserve System. Jacob A. Frankel, chairman of the Board of Trustees, Group of 30. He's also the chairman of J.P. Morgan Chase International. Jean-Claude Trichet, chairman of the Group of 30, former president of the European Central Bank. Gul... Gulamero Ortiz, Treasurer, Group of 30, Chairman BTG Pactual, Mexico. And let me tell you something. This guy's picture, Gulamero here, Ortiz, he's Mexican. Well, he don't look like any Mexican coming over the border. He's a white Mexican. He's a Spanish Mexican. Folks, you have no idea, unless you do, of the um, the level of racism in Mexico itself between Mexicans dark-skinned Mexicans are treated like monkeys okay pets in a zoo animals the white Mexicans are the affluent they're the ones that make the money that make the rules that make the laws yeah that live in the villas Lezek Baller whiskey Professor, Warsaw School of Economics. Former Governor, National Bank of Poland. Ben Bernanke, we know who he is. Armio Fraga, founding partner. Gaves Investment, former Governor, Banco Central de Brazil. Huh. Well, there's a criminal for you. I mean, Brazil is... is coming apart at the seams because of corrupt bankers. Timothy Geithner, yeah, we know who he is. He's the president of the Warburg Pincus, former U.S. Secretary of Treasury. Uh, Gerd Hausler, chairman of the Supervisory Board. Uh, Bankshire's Lancashire Bank, former CEO, Bankshire, whatever. Philippe Hillebrand, Vice Chairman, BlackRock, former Chairman of the Governing Board, SNB. Gail Kelly, 
Global Board of Advisors, U.S. Council on Foreign Relations, Senior Global Advisor, UBS Group AG. Mervyn King, Member, House of Lords, former Governor, Bank of England. Why am I giving you these names, folks? I hope you're going to record it. I hope you're going to save these names because when the fecal matter hits the spinning blades and these guys are exposed... You need to know who your enemies are, folks. I've been telling you this all along. It's not Julio down the street. Okay? It's not Rufus up the block. Okay? It's these people. These are the real enemies. And when everything falls apart, these are the people that you and me and Rufus and Julio should all get together and hunt them down like the filthy, rotten dogs they are. Okay? You you feeling me? You know where I'm coming from here? Mark Carney, Governor, Bank of England, Chairman, Financial Stability Board. Jamie Kurana, General Manager, Bank for International Settlements, former Governor, Banco de España. Domingo Cavallo, Chairman and CEO, DFC Associates, LLC, former Minister of Economy, Argentina. Mario Draghi. You've heard of him. President, European Central Bank, former Governor, Banco d'Italia. William C. Dudley, President, Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Former partner and managing director, Goldman Sachs. Roger W. Ferguson, Jr., President and CEO, TIAA, former Chairman, Swiss R.E. America Holding Corporation. He's black. He's, he's the token black. They got another guy here, too. But uh, Maraski Shirikawa. Wow. Special Professor of International Policies and Economics and Communication. Some Japanese university, former governor, Bank of Japan. Lawrence Summers, you know about this criminal, right? Charles W. Elliott University, professor at Harvard University, former U.S. Secretary, and really big-time criminal. Tijane Time, CEO Credit Suisse, former CEO Prudential. Adair Turner, chairman of the Governing Board Institute for New uh, Economic Thinking. Former Chairman, Financial Services Authority. Kevin Warsh. Warsh. W-A-R-S-H. Distinguished Visiting Fellow, Hoover Institution, Stanford University. Lecturer, Stanford University Graduate School of Business. Alex Weber, Chairman, UBS, former visiting professor of economics, Chicago, Booth School of Business. Paul Krugman, you've heard of him. Distinguished professor, graduate center, CUNY, that's the uh, City University in New York, former member council of economic advisors. Haru Haruiku Kuroda, Governor, Bank of Japan, former President, Asian Development Bank. Christian Neuer, Honorary Governor, Bank, Bank de France, former Chairman, Bank 
for international settlements. Are you getting a picture of who these people are? Raghuram G. Rajan, Governor Reserve Bank of India, Professor of Economics, Chicago Booth School of Business. Keep in mind the names of some of these universities. They keep popping up. Stanford, Chicago, huh? Kenneth Rogoff, Professor of Public Policy and Economics, Harvard, former Chief Economic Economist, International Monetary Fund. Oh, man. Uh, Tharman Shanamugaranam. Woo, there's a name. Deputy Prime Minister and Coordinating Minister for Economic and Social Policy, Singapore. Chairman, Monetary Authority of Singapore. And then there's Zhao Aiochun. Governor, People's Bank of China. Former President, China Construction Bank. Ernest Zedilio, director, Yale Center for Study of Globalization, Yale University, former president of Mexico. There you have it, folks. The group of 30. Okay? That's right, the group of 30. And uh, let's see here. This is uh, from one of their things, okay, uh, chapter four, undesirable side effects and need to exit from, uh, it's the publication, Fundamentals of Central Banking, Lessons from the Crisis. The long period of extremely easy monetary conditions has not generated inflationary pressures in the advanced market economies as many initially feared. However, it might well have contributed to further misallocations of real resources in the economy, to reduce potential output, and to unsustainable increases in asset prices. The emerging market economies have imported similar undesirable forces in due part to their own efforts to hold down exchange rates subject to the influence of large-scale capital inflows. There seems to be widespread agreement that central banks must exit from these abnormal policies at some point. However, uncertainty about both the modalities and implications of such an exit implies a bias towards this happening too late rather than too soon. Evaluation of a number of possible scenarios reveals a growing and worrisome set of exposures to future economic instability despite seven years, listen to this, of extraordinarily easy monetary conditions. Uh, Folks, let me ask you something. Have you felt as though the monetary situations have been just easy? I mean, my monetary situation is not easy. Okay, I would not categorize it as easy. Maybe you all are. Maybe you're all doing great. Maybe the economy's been wonderful to you. Uh, not so much to me. And, uh, you know, not so much to the hosts either. So I don't know. Maybe you're doing great. Not so much here. Not so much anybody else I've talked to. So, I don't know. How about this? A couple of little side stories before we go to break. In the second half, I will focus on what I said I would, which is, well, I'm not going to tell you. 
until the second half. You know, it's a cliffhanger. Uh, let's see. Amid growing protest, Satanists plan to stage a second black mass at the Public Civic Center Music Hall in Oklahoma City on August 15, 2016. The public sacrilege against God and the Catholic Mass will include the uh, desecration of a statue of the Virgin Mary, whose assumption into heaven is celebrated that day. Satanist and registered sex offender Adam Daniels announced that he will invoke Satan through a blasphemous black mass followed by a bloody ritual called the Consumption of Mary, all performed on city property. Now, wait a minute. Are we allowed to go, you know, every Sunday and just, uh, you know, get the Civic Center and say, hey, you know, uh, we want to have church here? Oh, no, we can't do that. There's a separation between church and state. Only if you're a Christian, though. Every American should oppose this hateful attack against God, said TFP Student Action Director John Ritchie, who hopes to collect 200,000 petitions against the Black Mass by the end of the week. So many good people are standing up in peaceful protest. See, and that's the problem, folks, and I'm going to tell you this right now, and I don't care what the FBI or the scumbags in the government think. Peaceful protests don't work, okay? I'm sorry. Oh, and protests, I don't consider protests peaceful when all the protesters are holding up signs and the cops come in and shove the butt of their gun down their throat, knock out all their teeth. I don't find that peaceful. So peaceful protests don't work. You want to protest? You bring guns. Lots of guns and lots of ammunition. That's the kind of protest that they're going to understand, and it's the only kind of protest they're going to understand. Just like when you protest and say, oh, knock, 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 you got a warrant? We don't need a warrant. Oh, but you do. In kicks the door, bang, off goes their heads. That's right, folks. It's all they understand. It's all they're going to ever understand. Violence does work, okay? Don't tell me it doesn't work, and if you're from the government, you can just shut the hell up right now. Because you know violence works because you practice violence daily. Well, if violence doesn't work, what the hell do we have to spend a trillion dollars on 14 aircraft carriers each? Huh? What do we need any nuclear missiles for if violence doesn't work? What do we need an army for? Why are we having our army in 140 different countries if violence doesn't work? What are we doing in Syria if violence doesn't work? How come we bombed Libya into the Stone Age if violence doesn't work? How come we killed over 2 million Iraqis if violence doesn't work? How come we're still in Afghanistan shooting civilians and blowing up weddings and funerals if violence doesn't work? Huh? How come Hillary Clinton is having leakers of DNC emails killed if violence doesn't work? Huh? So don't tell me violence doesn't work. So, this is what's going on in Oklahoma. You know, and I think the best thing for these Satanists is to send them 
to their master quickly. No, really, they want to worship Satan. I think the best place for them to do that is in hell. And you know what? I don't mind being their travel agent. It's time to stop being stepped all over, okay? They are stepping all over us. And us meaning the the decent people. I'm not saying anybody's good out there, but decent. You know, you just want to live your life and get to the next day and raise your family and love your wife and kids and all that stuff. Decent, normal people are being stomped on all over the world by these scumbags. The government is supposed to be there to protect good people, decent people. They're there to punish evil, okay? For all you stinking, lily-white, pussified pastors out there that want to tell everybody, Oh, but you can't do that. Romans 13 says to obey the government. Oh, yeah, it does. And then it goes down the list of exactly what kind of government. Huh? Yeah, one that punishes evil. When you got a government allowing Satanists to have a black mass on city property, I'm sorry, they're failing at that. They are no longer to be obeyed. They are no longer to be recognized as any kind of authority at all because they are spitting in the face of God. I'm telling you, he's not going to be standing around taking it for too much longer. Uh, man, I, you know, stuff like this just boils my blood. Look, I don't care if somebody wants to be a Satanist and go to hell. Fine. You know what? I don't want to see anybody go to hell. But if that's what you are, you know, you're hell-bent on doing that. Well, then, hey, you know what? Go ahead. Have your little group. Do your little things. End up in hell You know, there's nothing I can do about it. But when you start doing it publicly, when the government starts sanctioning it by allowing it on public property, I'm sorry, that government has now lost all authority to to say anything to me. They are no longer a government. They're a band of criminals. And you know what you got to do with a criminal? That's right. Get rid of them. Either lock them in a hole or kill them. That's it. That's what you do with criminals that damage property and injure people. Got to take a break. Be back in a bit.
that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
We're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's still Thursday, August 11th, 2016, about 843 and a half out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If that's when it is where you're at, we're live. Anyway, let's get right to it because, uh, you know, you got to get to this. All right. All the alarm over the imposition of Sharia law in enclave Islamic communities within Europe should have developed much greater pushback. But most countries are very late to confront the existential assault on traditional Western civilization. What a departure from the galvanized determination of Christian defense that commenced in 1571 at the Battle of Lepanto and culminated in 1683 at the Battle of Vienna. The Ottoman Empire was prevented from total domination of Europe by those victories. However, in today's voluntary surrender and capitulation culture, the centuries of Christian influence is in danger of eradication from the continent. Sharia law, list of key rules, contend that Sharia law regulates public behavior, private behavior, and even private beliefs. Of all legal systems in the world today, Sharia law is the most intrusive and restrictive compared to English common law, which protects individual natural rights, and even Roman law that formulated much of the foundation of European civil jurisprudence is quite different from the dictatorial tenets that are applied under Sharia law. Gert Wilder, who is the chairman of the Netherlands Party for Freedom and is a supporter of Israel, in warning about Islam, makes an assessment that many accept. Quote, Let no one fool you about Islam being a religion. Sure, it has a god and and a hereafter, and 72 virgins. But, in its essence, Islam is a political ideology. It is a system that lays down detailed rules for society and the life of every person. Islam wants to dictate every aspect of life. Islam means submission. Islam is not compatible with freedom and democracy, because what it strives for is Sharia. If you want to compare Islam to anything, compare it to communism or national socialism. These are all totalitarian ideologies. Well, that, that may be true. Yet many of the same people are so eager to condemn Islam and the draconian pre uh, precepts that are enshrined in Sharia law are oblivious to the reality that the Jewish perversions embodied in Talmudic law is even more threatening to the natural order of individual rights and human freedom. The truth about the Talmud is virtually unknown by the ignorant masses who have been indoctrinated with the post-World War II Holocaust guilt trip fraud. The propaganda that the creation of the state, and listen folks, when I say fraud, I don't mean that a Holocaust didn't happen to the Jews. Because uh, an accepted number, even by the, ma the vast majority of people who are called Holocaust deniers, they're really not Holocaust deniers, they're, well, they're number deniers, okay? They don't, the numbers, six million Jews is not possible, okay? That, that's a fact. And most of them accept anywhere from, you know, 300 to 600,000 dead Jews in World War II. And folks, listen. Nobody in their right mind is going to say, well, what? Only 300,000? Why, that's no Holocaust. 
Well, I'm sorry. Uh, in my book, 300,000 murdered is a holocaust. Okay? It's, it's pretty much genocide. Okay? But, hey, just to be clear, I am not a holocaust denier denier as, as if, you know, oh, it never happened. Nothing happened. No Jews died. N- there were no camps. Nothing ever happened. See, I don't that That's as ridiculous as saying six million Jews died. Okay? Because it's just not possible. Anyway. The propaganda that the creation of the state of Israel means that the Khazars, who claim to be Jews, have the high moral ground, is suicidal to true Christendom. And I like how this guy writes this. The Khazars, who claim to be Jews. Now listen to me, folks. You go get your King James Bible right now. Well, or go online. Probably easier because you can do a search. And search for... Uh, a, a statement, something along them that call themselves Jews but are not. Okay? It's in there. All right, the Bible told you this was going to happen. It just doesn't tell you, okay, all right, dummies, let me, let me point this out to you. Listen, it's going to be this thing at 49, and there are going to be these people that aren't really Jews, that call themselves Jews. They're going to throw a big guilt trip on you. You're going to give them a place to live. You know, and all of a sudden, they, they, there's no details like that. Them that call themselves Jews that are not, okay? It's that simple. So you keep your eyes peeled and you go, well, gee, who's doing that? Well, it's not me because I'm not calling myself a Jew. Is it you? Are you calling yourself a Jew? Because if you're not, then it's not you either. It has to be somebody who's calling themselves a Jew. Who is that? Well, it's the Jews. They're the only ones calling themselves Jews. Them that are, are not, though. Hmm, well, who would that be? It's the Khazars. Listen. The Talmud is Judaism's holiest book. It's actually a collection of books, but anyway. Its authority takes precedent over the Old Testament in Judaism. Did you know that? See, I've mentioned that many, many times. I was shocked when I found out because, see, growing up as a kid, I always thought, I grew up in New Jersey, and there's a lot of Jews in, uh, you know, New Jersey, New York, you know, Jew Jersey, Jew New York, you know. I mean... And I never thought much about them, to tell you the truth. I thought, well, you know, okay, they they only believe in the Old Testament. You know, and Christians believe in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, uh, you know, okay, big deal. I figured, well, that's pretty much on the same page, right? I had no idea there was even a book called the Talmud. But uh, later years, as I grew up, I recognized and realized and even had an opportunity to read some translated parts of the Talmud. In li- you know, different libraries around the country. And uh, that's an evil book, let me tell you. And that is their book. It supersedes the Talmud. And if you don't think so, uh, let's see, the Sonsino edition, okay, in Uber, Urbin, E-R-U-B-I-N, uh, uh, 21b out of the Talmud it says my son be more careful in the observance of the words of the scribes than in the words of the Torah which is the Old Testament okay it's telling you being more careful in the observance of the words in the Talmud than the Old Testament 
The Jewish scribes claim the Talmud is partly a collection of traditions Moses gave them in oral form. These had not yet been written down in Jesus' time. Christ condemned the traditions of the uh, Mishnah, the early Talmud, and those who taught it, scribes and Pharisees. What did he call them? Who did he say they were? You are of your father the devil. So, if the scribes and the Pharisees are the ones that put together the Talmud, let's think. Okay, the sons of Satan, because Christ tagged them of their father the devil, and they've been liars from the beginning, wrote the Talmud. What would that make the Talmud? Oh, an evil book, right? Because the Talmud nullifies the teachings of the Holy Bible. Truth about the Talmud explains the central point that you will never hear from a Christian Zionist preacher, which most of them are. Every one of the preachers out there that calls themselves uh, Judeo-Christian. Judeo-Christian. There's no such thing. They are incompatible. That's like saying you're a satanic Christian. They are not compatible, okay? Doesn't matter what you think, doesn't matter how you feel, it's just a fact. They are diametrically opposed, therefore, they don't go together. There are no Jews to be met with who adhere to the old Bible without Talmud traditions. The word Talmud, which makes so great a noise in the world, it may suffice to observe that by a sort of metonymy, it signifies the book containing the main doctrines of the Jews. For it is very observable that the Talmud is oftener brought in vindication of their religion than Moses, the prophets, and the holy writings, insomuch that they make it, and not the old Bible, the touchstone of their doctrine, and that into which they resolve the decisions of all their cases, the Talmud of Babylon. Okay, folks, look. This is all fun and games and nice, and you can read the Talmud for yourself and find out how evil it is and how bad it is and what the Jews really think about you. But really, let's just go back to Christ. Shall we go back to Jesus for a minute? Jesus stood the Pharisees right in their eyes and called them of their father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning. These are the same people who wrote the Talmud. All right? You know what? I don't need to know anymore. That's enough for me. My Lord said the people that wrote the Talmud are of the devil. Uh, you know, how much more do you need? You call yourself a Christian? Your Lord spoke that. Not me. I'm just repeating it. What kind of a Christian are you? You don't even believe your Lord? You don't even believe that? Well, if you don't believe it, you got no faith. And if you got no faith, huh, you're in trouble. But you know what? Even if you don't have any faith, if you know how to read, go get yourself a Talmud. It's not that easy to find, but you can find some. Read it. Find out for yourself what kind of wonderful, loving book it is. There's more here. Illuminati Jews are trying to convince the Goyim that Islam is the religion of hate which it is, but listen, for the Jews 
point the finger at Islam and say, oh, they're hateful, they're bad, they're evil, they're this, they're that, they're bad, kill them, kill them, kill them all. Well, it's not that big of a stretch, and it's not that, un, you know, it's not that difficult to understand, because we got a family feud going on over here about an inheritance, folks. Listen, watch how it goes just with a family. Mom and dad die. What happens next? Oh, all the children start fighting over what's left from them. The inheritance. Oh, we got to, yeah, well, you're a scumbag. You're, uh, you know, and now brothers and sisters hate each other. Cousins hate each other. The whole family hates each other because they're all fighting over the inheritance. Well, that's what's going on with the Jews and the Muslims, okay? Between Judaism and Islam. That's what's going on. They are both of Abraham. And there's a family feud over the inheritance. You know, if you see a family feud going on, do you look at that and figure, hey, that'd be a great thing for me to jump in the middle of? What could go wrong, huh? Yeah. What could go wrong? Well, I'll tell you what could go wrong. What could go wrong is both of those sides turn against you and kill you. That's what could go wrong, and that's just what's fixing to happen. Judaism and Islam are going to get together and try to destroy Christianity because they're both of their father, the devil. Oh, they can get back to killing each other once the Christians are gone. It's called divide and conquer. In fact, Judaism, as defined by the Kabbalah and Talmud, is responsible for many of humanity's woes. The world's central bank cartel is owned by Kabbalist, i.e. Illuminati Jews. Judaism is a satanic cult masquerading as a religion. First Jews, then humanity, were in inducted into this cult in the guise of secular humanism. This is the key to understanding the world. Hmm. Now, Yuri uh, Arveny writes in Ditcher's, uh, Ditcher's Law notes, the fundamental conflict between both the Talmud, Sharia law, and the uh, essence of Western legal, cultural, and Christian heritage. Jewish law is the Talmud and the Halakha, the Jewish equivalent of the Muslim Sharia. It means in practice that legal norms adopted 1,500 years ago and more will trump the legal norms evolved over recent centuries in Britain and other European countries. Similar clauses exist in the laws of countries like Pakistan and Egypt. The similarity between Jewish and Islamic law is not accidental. Arab-speaking Jewish sages like Moses uh, Maimonides, the Rambam, and their contemporary Muslim legal experts influenced each other. The one difference between the laws of the Talmud and the laws of the Sharia is that Sharia distinguishes between Muslims and non-Muslims. It is a religious distinction, not a racial distinction. The Talmud distinguishes between Jews and non-Jews, which they refer to as goyim. A Jew is someone who has a Jewish mother. The person is considered Jewish by race, even if he or she is not a practicing Jew. There are people who convert to Judaism. They are Jews by religion, not race. Well, there you have it. And it goes on and on, folks. I mean, all right, I'll quickly do this because I, I can go late if I want. Uh, on Jews and Christians living in the same place. 
This is from Pope Benedict the, let's see, XIV, that's uh, the 14th. June 14th, 1751. Jews supervise the collection of public revenues. They, all, they have also gained control of inns, bankrupt estates, villages, and public land by means of which they have subjected poor Christian farmers. The Jews are cruel taskmasters, not only working the farmers harshly and forcing them to carry excessive loads, but also whipping them for punishment. So it has come about that those poor farmers are the subjects of the Jews, submissive to their will and power. Furthermore, although the power to punish lies with the Christian official, he must comply with the commands of the Jews and inflict the punishments they desire. If he doesn't, he would lose his post. Therefore, the tyrannical orders of the Jews have to be carried out. You must see it to that neither your property nor your privileges are hired to Jews. Furthermore, you do no business with them, and you neither lend them money nor borrow from them. Thus, you will be free from and unaffected by all dealings with them. Hmm, gee, that was a different kind of pope than we got today, huh? Now, to close, you heard that, right? Now, here goes the argument when I say the Jews killed Jesus. They go, oh, no, 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 the Romans killed Jesus. It was Pontius Pilate, and it was the centurions. Well, you just read that. You just heard me read that to you, didn't you? Didn't you? He must comply with the commands of the Jews and inflict the punishments they desire. If he doesn't, he would lose his post. You think Pontius Pilate wasn't aware of that? I think he was. So there you have it, folks. There it is. Little education could go a long way. Anyway, speaking of going a long way, I got to go a long way. I will see you tomorrow. As always, thanks for listening. Coming up next is Govern America. If you missed it Saturday morning, don't miss it this Saturday morning. But if you do, Thursday nights it's on. So I'll see you tomorrow. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement.
facing the crisis of our republic, waging war on the new world order. This is Govern America. Just south of the Great Lakes capital city, covering all of North America via satellite, AM and FM stations all across the country, and live and archived on the World Wide Web, this is Govern America. I'm Darren Leach, your host here for the next three hours, along with Nancy Levant. Good to have you with us once again as we document the crisis of our republic, the undermining of our national, state, and individual autonomy, and today is the 30th of November, 2013, and uh, we are going to have quite a think quite a broadcast today. Uh, we are in the process right now, or have been, of trying to organize a panel of folks to come on and uh, discuss. We have some academics coming on here to discuss the Constitution. And in light of the fact that the other side is very, very actively trying to undo the Constitution, uh, get it to the point where basically it, it doesn't even exist anymore. And we know this Constitutional Convention push is going on all across the country right now. We talked about that last week. Anyway, Nancy Levant's waiting in the wings. Nancy, go ahead and how are you doing this morning? At least I think she's waiting in the wings. Yep, we got, we're here. There it's you are. It's a beautiful day in Michigan. Uh, we had a lot of aerial spraying yesterday, which was disconcerting, of course. And uh, I want to tell you that our guest, uh, Aaron Bollinger and several other people, um, you had me read or listen to an interview with Aaron and uh, also read some of his articles. And let me tell you something, Darren. I learned a whole lot more about constitutional conventions. Uh, I am very excited, very excited uh, to talk to Aaron today. Yeah, Aaron is the uh, he's the founder, one of the founders of the Sherman Institute, and they teach constitutional law. They teach about uh, you know the proper function of government and uh, how uh, government should be run, and all the procedures and all that. And uh, so I think I think we have Aaron now. Aaron, welcome to the broadcast. Aaron is here. I hope I can live up to that kind of an introduction. Woo. Well, <laughs> I, listen, I, I appreciate you being on on such short notice. I, I got a hold of Aaron uh, earlier in the week. Uh, well, I think it was uh, last weekend I, I listened to a, a radio broadcast that you did with, I think her name was Anna Yeasley. Yeah, Anna Yeasley down in Virginia. Yeah, yeah, and it was just excellent. And I wanted to uh, I wanted to bring you on after that broadcast because and have your share share your expertise with our audience here. Some of the uh, some of the same things that you said are, are points that we and others on this broadcast have made as well, but uh, the dangers of this constitutional convention I think are lost on many people, and I can't really think of anything more important to talk about, Aaron. Well, I'm with you on that. I'd like to talk about all the things Sherman Institute's doing to help uh, bring back real academia, uh, but you know. First things first, we've got to protect our constitutional liberties to freely educate people, uh, which, of course, is the core of the problem here. Uh, yeah. We talk about sending delegates to a convention. Okay, what is that? Sounds cool. We haven't done one for a while. Even Tom Jefferson said every generation must fight for liberty and do their part, and this could be our generation's time to just get in there and 
make our footprint on the future of the world. Hang on a minute, folks. Hang on one second. There just aren't enough people as educated as James Madison and uh, Ben Franklin and the people who were at that convention the first time. Okay, why don't you hold it right there? Unfortunately, (laughs) we're already up to the first break, and we'll hit the ground running when we come back, okay, folks? And also, we'll bring up some other folks, uh, at least uh, one other, and um, there may be some other people joining us as this hour progresses. But you're listening to Govern America. We, we have Aaron Bollinger on from the Sherman Institute. We'll be bringing up David Whitney, I think, when we come back from the break. Stay with us. We'll continue in a moment. All right, we're back. This is Govern America. Darren Wakes and Nancy Levant and Aaron Bollinger of the Sherman Institute. And by the way, the website for the Sherman Institute is uh, shermaninstitute.info. They also have shermaninstitute.org, so uh, go there and check out the uh, website. I think the .info one is linked up. Uh, We didn't get the other one linked up uh, in time for the show, but anyway, uh, shermaninstitute.info and .org are the websites for the guests for today. And I think we also have uh, David Whitney uh, waiting in the wings. He's a he's a pastor. He's researched the recently leaned upon notion of a limited convention that occurred in 1861, and uh, he's going to explain for us how how warped uh, so far and so far out of reality uh, this whole thing is. But uh, David, uh, come on in, join the conversation. Thank you, sir. Glad to be with you this morning. It's good to be with you. Good to have you. Uh, and uh, Aaron, just before the break, you were talking about. Uh, some of the things the Founding Fathers uh, did and said, and I wanted to give you a chance to finish your thoughts there, sir. Well, it's real, real simple where the uh, the education of the people involved in such a convention are concerned. is uh, part of what we've been doing with Sherman Institute is looking at the pinnacle of the American university. What were these people thinking that they were so smart back in the early days of our nation? How did we produce such statesmen uh, that could uh, you know, look at a problem and figure out we need these gears, we need this lever, we need this, and we create these machines. I mean, these people weren't going to school with the intention of, i got to get me a job. You know, these people <laughs> were coming out of school ready to put 20,000 people to work. They led the Industrial Revolution. They had higher standards and much, much more smarts. Mm-hmm. We started studying this. And when you look at the type of education that was delivered, what the founding fathers and that group of people did. All you got to do is read the Federalist Papers, and you can see what, by modern standards, is like a 23rd grade reading level. These weren't, you know, your typical uh, matriculating bachelors. These people were smart. And, you know, we got some smart people out there. Uh, You know, not that he's my favorite person, but Al Gore has a fairly decent (laughs) IQ. You'd never know it to talk to him sometimes or to, to hear him talk. Uh, well, you know, I'm glad he invented the Internet because, you know... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but all, all, uh, all kidding aside with, with uh, you know, people that are fairly easy targets, you know, your average... Who would be at a convention today? Okay, maybe it's the, the president of the Senate. Well, these folks are pretty sharp. There's no doubt about it. But do they have the wisdom of what liberty means, or are they in their position... Maybe because of they're one of those two categories of people that run for office. Let's face it, there really are two people, uh, two types. One is the altruist, 
you know, the, the activist who has a problem and decides, I'm going to help fix things, I want to get in there and do something. And the other is the silver spooner that uh, already has his corporate money from third generation now, and the only thing left is power. So those are the people who tend to get to the leadership roles and people follow what they say. Mm-hmm. They're not the second coming, folks. They just have a lot of money. And right. they got that way by greed and other features that were totally absent in any of the delegates to the first convention. Well, let's say there was a little bit. You know, Ben Franklin, yeah, the guy was a friend of paper money. Well, he owned a printing press. Okay, there was some self-interest there. But guess what? The, the minds of the convention said coin money. They used the word coin as a verb, which means you know, can't coin paper. Paper money was prohibited by our Constitution. If we want to fix our problems as a nation, first thing we ought to do is try the Constitution for a while. It's been a while since we've used it, the way it was intended, the way it was written, and according to the very clear words in it. These folks today just don't choose their words very carefully, and to trust them with even tinkering with the Constitution, much less the potential for a total rewrite, that's just asinine to a level I can't even comprehend. Well, yeah. you know, the, the, the thing that you, you're talking about, the differences of education back then versus now, and one of the things that really struck me when when I heard you talking about that was the fact that you said that the the people back then would have to know how they couldn't graduate unless they knew how to, to, to write and, and be fluent and, and parse Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. You know, I mean, you didn't even get into Yale in the 1820s unless you were fluent in those three languages. Yeah, that, Here's that's the just thing. incredible. If you, if you set up a business, you set up a manufacturing plant. You didn't mm-hmm. need the United States uh, Department of Commerce to negotiate your trade deal. You could do it in multiple languages yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, a totally different world than these guys who created this great experiment in liberty. And I'll be darned if I'm going to stand back and watch a, a new breed of, you know, international society of do-gooders try to fix what they perceive as flaws in a document they're not even abiding by. Yeah, you know, David, I think this is a good place to bring you into the conversation, too, because we're just talking not only about the differences in education with regard to, uh, well, education itself, the differences from today versus back then, but also it's a morality issue. You know, the, the, the morals were much different back in, in around the time of 1787. Indeed, and uh, we would contend that uh, our founders held a worldview that was based upon, well, they called it the laws of nature and nature's God, and many people today don't understand what that phrase meant because they don't understand the background that our founders were reading William Blackstone, and uh, Blackstone's book, The Commentaries on the Laws of England, was mm-hmm. the authority in all legal uh, structure for the first 100-plus years, maybe even 150 years in our country. And Blackstone clearly expressed there's only three types of law. There's the laws of nature, which he said is what God has emplaced in human minds and human hearts. You might say human conscience is what he was speaking of there. The laws of nature... The second type of revelation is God has revealed his law in Scripture, which is the Bible. So those two phrases in our Declaration of Independence, the laws of nature and the laws of nature is God, 
come from Blackstone. In a sense, they're paraphrasing Blackstone, and they're saying the Bible is the standard by which we are measuring King George III's failure, his failure to rule justly, and therefore we have another God-given right, in addition to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, we have the God-given right to abolish that form of government that no longer protects our God-given rights. And where do we get that right? We find it in the laws of nature and nature's God, the Bible. So that's the foundation and the worldview is really clearly expressed there in the Declaration of Independence. First element of the worldview is this. There is a creator God. Second element in that worldview is that uh, that God is the one who gave us our rights. So our rights mm-hmm. come from God. They don't come from government. They don't come from some bureaucrat down in Washington, D.C., counting beans or determining how much water you can flush down your toilet or other idiocies. No. Your rights come from God. And the third element of their worldview expressed very, very clearly there in the Declaration of Independence is that the sole and only purpose for the existence of civil government at all is to protect and to secure your God-given rights. So take that worldview and say, how many people in Washington, D.C., or how many people even in your state capitals across this country share that worldview? And I dare say almost nil. You might find one or two here or there. But the rarity, so if the people we're going to choose from don't hold the worldview of what the purpose of government is, they're not going to secure our God-given rights, whatever they create. <laughs> It'll yeah. be something well, other than you know, and, that. And that's, that's, that's the whole point. You know, unless we have moral people running the show and moral people basically among us, you know, unless we're moral people, you know, we're not going to enforce any constitution, and that's, that's the key. All right, let's take the bottom of the hour break here. And we'll continue on here on Govern America. Stay with us. All right, we're back. This is Govern America, visiting with Aaron Bollinger and David Whitney of the Sherman Institute. That's shermaninstitute.info and shermaninstitute.org. And uh, we're talking about this constitutional convention push that's uh, sweeping once again our land. And uh, David and... uh, and Aaron, I want to get back to the uh, subject at hand here with regard to Article 5. This Article 5 provision that's been put into the Constitution, of course, uh, you know, two ways to amend the Constitution in Article 5, one initiated by the feds, which I guess uh, has the one, been really the, it's one, the one that's always been used. That's right. And then there's, there's the other one that uh, is the one that's initiated by the states, and that's the one that we're really concerned about. Now, the other side would, would have a say or they would say, and I think they have said, that uh, why would the Founding Fathers put something in there that would be that, you know, if it's that dangerous and that's something we all should fear, uh, why would they have bothered to put that text in there in the first place? Uh, Basically, it it, it looks like this is pretty much a reset button on the whole, you know, they would say a reset button on runaway government. Uh, Aaron, when I talked to you the other day, uh, you said basically it's also a self-destruct button. But, uh, yeah, okay. We we don't want certain people like Al Gore having their finger on that button. That's for sure. Uh, here's the here's the thing. You know, when they passed that convention originally and brought the Constitution forward and handed it to the states, this was their idea on how to fix the the perceived and real defects of the Articles of Confederation. And they knew they had went far beyond what anything was given to them as their mission statement. They didn't just you know, amend the articles, they wrote a whole new document. Mm-hmm. So one of the selling points at the end of the uh, event was, okay, if you don't like what we did, do it over. 
and here's the way you can do it. We can start, we can try this, and if you don't like it in five years, we can have another convention and, and start over. So, so, so you, it was added there as a reassurance because there was a lot of anxiety at the time about what they did in throwing out the Articles of Confederation. Yeah, I mean, it was like any other marketing ploy. Here, here's a reset button. If you don't like it, you know, we can do it again. And um, among other things, uh, because they did p put the amendment provision in there, and of course, as we know, before the Constitution was even adopted, there was no Bill of Rights with it, and the states insisted. So they amended it before they even said, "Let's try this." So mm -hmm. they, you know, there was actually originally twelve proposed amendments. Now, here's where it gets fun. Right now, today, the average Joe doesn't know, or if he does know there were twelve, he doesn't know what those other two were. One of them is real important to this discussion because, and I'm going to tie about four things together here. Pastor Whitney's discussion on biblical principles and the biblical worldview that was contained within those folks within that convention. There's a biblical commandment that says, Thou shalt not have in thy bag diverse weights and measures, but a perfect and just weight. Now, what's that all about? Well, of course, we know money historically and up until the 1960s, consisted of silver and gold, at least in this country. It still does worldwide. The, the unit is still gold on any major transactions. So <clears throat> the conventioneers are meeting. they got a problem. There's 13 different sovereign states, each with a different money system, and they knew that biblical commandment. So what they did was in the first article, they gave Congress the power to coin money you know, that means metals. You can't coin paper. We've already established that. And to fix the standards of weight and measures in the same clause of the Constitution. So you want to balance federal budget, which is what they're talking about now, okay? Mm -hmm. All we have to do is apply that. But it gets better because money and taxes are so intricately married. You, you can have just money and unjust taxes, and you're still going to have a calamity of government. Or you can have just uh, taxes and unjust money, and you're going to have rampant inflation and all the things that we're seeing right now. So how do we affect this balanced budget using the formula of the Constitution? There was another principle embodied in there, Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3, and Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4. It's called proportional obligation. The Founding Fathers knew that with rights came responsibilities, so they put an emergency clause in there for money. If the federal government spends more than it brings in, or in the words of the Founding Fathers, when the exigencies are not met, okay, mm -hmm. then they have this little power to borrow, but it's only short term. They're supposed to then go back to the states and lay a proportional direct tax based on the apportionment formula. Now, today, let's think of it today. Pastor Whitney, Maryland has, what, eight congressmen? Yeah. There's 435 total. So in any year where the budget doesn't balance, the Congress is supposed to go to the state of Maryland and say, we need this amount of money. Your share is eight 435ths of that total. New York, you've got more representatives, 34, 35, whatever the number is. You pay 35. 435th. California, Texas, big states, you pay a bigger share because your congressmen are spending the money. Now, mm -hmm. the problem with that is if we did that today, now let me tell you, that has been used historically many times. It, it, it balanced our budgets after the Revolutionary War and all those things, but they quit doing it. 
at the end of the Civil War because it's a real big problem. You know why? It forces accountability for their spending back to the state in the year the money's spent. Can you imagine this current Congress coming back to our states, draining their treasuries of what little they have left, and say, well, we needed this for all of these good worldly programs. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd be putting hangman nooses up in the middle of every congressional district, <laughs> and these guys would never get back to Washington. So we can't have accountability for spending. You know, we just can't do that. We, we, we can't run this welfare state that way. So they don't do it anymore. But your balanced budget amendment doesn't even need to be there. It's already embodied in it. But... That was one of the 12 amendments that was proposed. Seven of the 13 states said that Congress shall not lay a direct tax, but when the monies arising from the impost duties and the excise are insufficient for the public exigencies, nor then until Congress shall have first made a requisition upon the state to assess levy and pay its proportion share. Now, if that amendment had been passed, it would have just clarified the wording that's already there. But they didn't need it. It didn't need to pass. And they yeah. did it. They extinguished the war debt of 1812, everything up to and including the Civil War, by apportioning a direct tax back on the states, borrow the money for six months, however long it takes to you can collect it from the states, retire the debt, no long-term borrowing. Yeah. yeah. If, but that's a proportional could... obligation. It's a biblical principle with rights come responsibilities. That's already there. We don't need a balanced budget amendment. We just need to live by it. Well, that's certainly something that would be uh, would put, as you say, enmity between the federal government and the states. One of the problems that we have, of course, as you well know, is that we have this gravy train of federal money coming into the states that uh, the states compete for, the states work for, uh, you know, jump through hoops and do whatever they can to get that federal money. Uh, there, there needs to be a way of uh, of bringing the states to the point where they are are assuming their rightful role of, of basically pl- playing federal policemen. Well, it, it's even better because that same rule that says what we have to do when we need to borrow says what we should do when there's money left over. If there's federal money left over, they shouldn't be you know investing in in all kinds of other things. That's not the government's role. They're not to be investors. All they need to do is say, hey, guess what, guys? We've raised $50 billion more than we've needed for our little meager, you know, frugal budget in Washington. We're going to divide that up amount in the states. So, Maryland, you get eight, uh, eight, 435ths of what we have left over. And they don't hand it to the state under any revenue sharing. You have to buy this. You have to get this. You need to do this with this bridge and this road. They give it to the state legislature, and the state legislature says, this is what we need to do, guys. Mm-hmm. David, let me ask you a question. Is not the uh, grant funding apparatus uh, that is happening with all of these so-called partners and stakeholders of government also a huge dilemma constitutionally? Oh. Yes, and, and, you know, the whole system is so, I guess you'd say, it's so broken away from what uh, our founders designed with the limitations that they, they structured into place, as Aaron described, one element of that, and there's many other elements that would have prevented the federal government from ever creating these, um, uh, what you would call bribes, that is, biblically, the command is that a person who's in a position of power 
not only in the judiciary, but also in the legislative and the executive branch, is prohibited from taking any bribes. That is, any advantage gained to them uh, personally for what they're doing in their, in their position of power. And essentially, that's what all of these things are, so that the state government in cahoots with the federal government is getting some special privileges because it's going to do, well, other than maybe take Common Core as an example. Well, the okay, race let's to the top right there. Uh, that t- sounds like a good place to... Uh pick it up on the other side of the break we're visiting with aaron bollinger and david whitney of the sherman institute and we're talking about the constitutional convention push all across america we'll be back in a few moments This is Govern America. The website, by the way, is governamerica.com. That's www.governamerica.com. And I hope you'll go there on the main page. We have a list of the uh, committee members for the Michigan Financial uh, Liability Reform Committee, where SJRV, as in Victor, is currently housed. Uh, This is the Michigan call for a constitutional convention. And so we have all the uh, committee members, and we're going to be adding the names of the sponsors of that uh, resolution there as well. I didn't have a chance to get them up there before showtime, but we'll add those a little bit later on. Uh, But anyway, uh, I encourage all of you folks out there to call those numbers and let them know. If if you can't get a hold of the uh, actual legislators, uh, then uh, leave a message on their voicemail. They need to have hundreds of messages from people educating them about the dangers of a constitutional convention. That that resolution needs to die in that committee. So uh, anyway, uh, that's all up on the website at governamerica.com. Our guests today are Aaron Bollinger. He's one of the founders of the Sherman Institute, and also uh, Pastor David Whitney, uh, who teaches there as well. And, uh, David, before the break, you were talking about, uh, you were addressing Nancy's question with regard to grant money, and you were just getting ready to uh, bring up Common Core. Uh, I wanna yes, because that, that's a perfect illustration of how this works. Back in 2010, uh, 45 states signed up for it, and it gave them billions of dollars. The federal government promised billions of dollars. Where was that money coming from? Well, of course, ultimately it's coming out of the taxpayers from the states themselves. They're going to be paying for this, but... That money goes to the federal government, then the federal government returns it to the states with these strings attached, and essentially it committed each of those states to forcing every government-run school to use Common Core curriculum uh, for their classroom, in spite of the fact that nobody had been able to look at what Common Core was when they signed on to this commitment in 2010. In fact, one uh, one person in our state, uh, one educator, has described it as, we're building the plane as we fly it. <laughs> what insanity yeah, is that? Yeah, you know? Sounds like Nancy Pelosi. Let's pass this thing so we know what's in it. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Well, yeah, so they all committed. They all, all 45 states committed to this, and now they're stuck with it, or they have the tough choice to make, and they could make this tough choice to turn down the federal money and say, ah, yeah, we're, we're going to be hurting because we were counting on this to pay for our public education system, but we recognize the education of our children is more important than getting this money that will balance our state budget, basically balance it on the backs of these children that are going to be dumbed down with this, this common core education. Well, but the federal hey. government does that all the time, bribing the states to do what it wants the states to do, 
rather than the way it should be, our old system, where there was no individual income tax. The 16th Amendment, by the way, we teach a course that talks about that, and that does not change what many people perceive and does not uh, change Article 1, Section 9 that says that no capitation tax is permissible, that is no tax upon the individual citizen. As Aaron described it before, the federal government comes to the state, says, state, your portion of the federal deficit is this, X. You've got to pay this. The state then chooses how it's going to raise those funds among its own citizens. They well, might, you know, we've got to raise the sales that, tax or something like that. Another beauty of that, David, if the states would neglect to it, uh, and not attend to it, then the feds could come in and actually collect the tax themselves. But guess what? They had to use the rules of tax collection, tax collection that exist in the state when they were doing it. So they couldn't right. even create their own rules. There's no federal tax rules for taxing individuals within the state. They had you know, to... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought you were... Well, I, I want to tie another thing into that whole common core thing. When you study education like we have to figure out what was right and what was wrong, you'll actually see people like the University of Chicago, uh, a generation ago at least, using the term Common Core. And when they used the term Common Core at that time, it meant the common curriculum that all of the Ivy League and any school worth attending in the early part of our nation used as the foundation of the program. And that was a two-part collective uh type of education under one heading called trivium, under another heading called quadrivium. You studied grammar, logic, rhetoric, and dialectic, and you studied uh, numbers, which is the grammar of math. You studied music, which is numbers in time. You studied geometry, which is numbers in space. And you studied astronomy, which is numbers in space and time. So you had all, that was the common core. That's what common core actually means if you look it up in an older type of dictionary. You know, well, that's, not, that's, they've bastardized that, the term, and yeah. they applied it to something completely new, like they did welfare. You know, welfare in the Constitution doesn't mean what we see now. Not even <laughs> close. But right, that's, exactly. That's what they do. They're completely changing the definition of important words to suit their own agenda and then applying it. Well, this is this is really when we talk about the federal gravy train and all this money flowing down from the feds. You know, it's not just the states, by the way, that we have to worry about. I mean, we've got uh, gifts, largesse flowing down into our cities uh, and our local police departments. You know, this uh, homeland security apparatus, this behemoth uh, that has basically woven its tentacles all around us in in the form of fusion centers and what have you. But but they're they're bestowing. Uh, military armaments and, and you know, tank-like... Uh, well, we were uh, looking at this stuff back in the 1970s when uh, Tricky Dick himself, Richard Nixon, uh, actually divided the United States up into ten federal regions, set all mm -hmm. the grant-making apparatus in those headquarters areas. You know, this, that's the whole point of this Constitutional Convention. They've already divided us up into ten new states. And the only way they can implement their new state's constitution is with a convention. So, folks, this is nothing new. This is old-school stuff. There was a movement afoot in 1976, the bicentennial of our independence, to open a convention. And $25 million bucks was spent by the think tanks uh, to create this new state's constitution. They tried to get a convention open that year. They couldn't. Then they used the federal budget 
as a, you know, we talk about balanced budget amendments. For Pete's sake, I'd like to see a, a budget. They haven't had one for, what, 30 years? <laughs> it's been a series of continuing resolutions. Forget balanced budget. Let's see a budget. Let's see. They need to tell us. The Constitution says that a, you know, a receipt, a, a, a document or something, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, uh, a, a report of the expenditures shall be published from time to time. That doesn't mean every 50 years. Okay, uh, you know we had an annual budget that we knew what was going in. There's no room in the Constitution for black ops budgets and military off book. There's no room in the Constitution for $500 hammers because you've got 50 greedy unions pulling money off the people that they're now sending in as contractors to wash the laundry for our troops. You know, my uncle and my father's generation served in World War Troop too. They didn't have contractors doing their laundry. They probably lived in the same clothes for about six months while they sat over there in Bastogne fighting uh, Hitler's guys. Yeah, this is ridiculous, the kind of money that's being just plain wasted. If it was a necessary expense, it would be one thing. But this is nothing but pure greed that's driving this budget into its current condition. And if they well, at least you know, published and, and, a report of what they were spending, we'd know where it's going. But we don't even have that now. Well, and the question is, would anybody do about it, anything about it, if they did publish such a report? I mean, once in a while, some of these sunshine projects do shine lights upon some of the government waste. But, you know, it's almost like people have really become immune to these shocking things. And, you know, we live really in the age of sensationalism. Uh, we, we live in the age where people have really been dulled to a lot of this uh, uh, shocking stuff. These yeah, nothing surprises anybody anymore. Right. I, I, and you can't see if there's any blame for that. I mean, that's just the way uh, this whole, you know, the, the founding fathers, uh, John Adams, one of our first presidents, said the Constitution was meant to govern a moral people, and it's wholly inadequate for any other. Well, you know, the issue here is that I don't think that any Constitution, even if we had a, another amendment uh, or even a whole new Constitution, what difference would it make if the people aren't willing to stand up and govern and instruct their leaders? Well, there, there's the core of it. They won't abide by what we've got. What good's a new amendment going to do? The whole Conference of States, as it was named in code word Conference of States in the 90s to try to sneak it past us, that didn't work. Uh, I've been fighting this con-con for close to 30 years now. And, uh, you know, Jim Davidson and National Taxpayers Union and all of them were pushing for the balanced budget right after uh, Nelson Rockefeller couldn't get his way with the, the 1976 attempt at a convention. It's about every 10 years this thing comes up. And it's unfortunate that this current movement is being pushed now, you know, ALEC is still there, the American Legislative Exchange Council. I know these states. I've worked in them for years, okay? Okay, you, we, ha we have to take the top-of-the-hour news. I'm sorry about that. Uh, we'll pick up – let's pick it up with ALEC and uh, some of the people that are behind this latest push when we come back, okay? Folks, we're visiting with Aaron Bollinger and David Whitney. We have to take the top-of-the-hour break and news for the stations. We'll be back in a moment. This is Govern America. Stay with us. south of the Great Lakes capital city, covering all of North America via satellite, AM and FM stations all across the country, and live and archived on the World Wide Web. This is the second hour of Govern America. Darren Waits and Nancy Levant here with you, as we are every Saturday. And it continues to be the 30th of November, 2013, as we continue on here. 
uh, talking with Aaron Bollinger and Pastor David Whitney of the uh, Sherman Institute. And uh, once again, their website is shermaninstitute.info and shermaninstitute.org, that's uh, .org. For those folks who uh, want to go and check out the Sherman Institute, uh, they uh, have, a, have a very robust program uh, dealing with Constitution law and uh, procedure and uh, really teaching folks how the government should be run. It's too bad that we don't have more state legislators and really, for that matter, congressional critters uh, that are, uh, you know, it almost should be uh, mandatory that they learn the things that they uh, they were teaching at the Sherman Institute. But uh, anyway. Well, here, here, here's a, a good little piece of shameless, shameless self-promotion uh, <laughs> just because it needed to be said. Uh, I, we don't call any of our courses at this point constitutional law. Uh, okay. Because we don't want lawyers coming up and saying you're practicing law without a license and all this okay. nonsense. Okay. Okay. Uh, there are some very good courses uh, on the subject of law, but uh, we're teaching a lot of background stuff too. For example, uh, parliamentary procedure. Now this is crucial for a number of reasons when we talk about the con con because all right, let's explain this whole picture of the convention first and get into this. Uh, aspect of it. Okay. When our dear friends Alec push a resolution down the states, and we're expecting probably 30 of them will show up all at one time. The sessions will convene early in January. Alec, the American Legislative Exchange Council, has this resolution that their folks, along with the Citizens for Self-Governance, have drafted with language in there that makes it appear like the convention is going to be limited to these subjects, and they list them one, two, three. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, the first one that, or one of the ones, I'm not sure of the sequence off the top of my head here, but uh, one of the ones they mention is that the, the purpose of this convention is to limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. Now, that sounds innocuous. It sounds needed. But I won't argue the fact that the federal government needs a tighter rope around it. Okay? Right. right. The question is, does that wording limit the convention? Now, if they said they wanted to limit the power of the executive branch, that would confine it to Article 2 at least. But no, they said the federal government. Now, federal government consists of Article 1, Congress, Article 2, executive branch, Article 3, judiciary. They've just opened the three main articles of the Constitution up for surgery in yeah. any possible combination. Because so what you're talking say, about here is mission creep. Yeah, when they say power... Okay, the powers of Congress, Article 1, Section 8, boom, there's 18 clauses there. So that opens that whole thing up. Okay, the powers of the executive branch, we know where that's at, the judiciary, etc. So, now, if you're going to limit, that means you're probably going to take from, and especially since they're using the states in this, they're telling the states this is your chance to get some power back. Well, Article 4 contains all those sections of the thou shalt not on the states, so now if you're going to take something from Article 1, you've got to put it somewhere. Now we're going to put it in Article 4. So that's just opened up Article 4. Well, let's look at what a convention is. It's defined in Article 5. Guess what? It's a co-equal branch of government. It's a whole new animal sitting there dormant. No one's touched it for 200 years, but it's a co-equal branch. So when you talk about limiting it, how are you going to limit a co-equal? We've seen it. Time after time where Congress will say, we're going to subpoena the president in for information on this terrorism stuff. And the president says, executive privilege, I don't have to show up. Why is that? Because the executive is co-equal. 
He don't care what Congress says. The only thing they can really do is impeach him. And unless they got something, they better not try it because he's co-equal. And the judiciary, you know, they have neither the power of the purse nor the sword, but anything Congress does that they don't like, they can overturn it in a court case or just not allow any convictions to come in under it. So there's co-equal branch, and that's what a convention is. It's a co-equal branch. Who's going to control it? Who has jurisdiction? Nobody. Okay, so that's just the touch of this thing. Well, I, I think hold your thoughts there for just a minute because I think it's important to to jump in here with Corpus Juris Secundum, 16 CJS 9, which says the members of a constitutional convention are the direct representatives of the people, and as such they may exercise all sovereign powers that are vested in the people of the state. They derive their powers not from the legislature but from the people, and hence their power may not in any respect be limited or restrained by the legislature. Yeah, Under and that's, view, a con- that's a constitutional law premise that anybody who's ever taken a law course ought to understand clearly. Finishing this up real quickly here, it says, Under this view, it is a legislative body of the highest order and may not only frame, but may also enact and promulgate constitution. Correct. So there, there you go. They are your you're putting constitutional wheels in motion that nobody has the power to alter. If, let's say, 34 states call for a limited convention, the other states are going to be invited. They haven't set no limits. Anything's fair game. And this is the first thing that happens in a parliamentary game. You go into a state capitol, Senate Resolution 1, House Resolution 1, the day these new elected officials take office, what is that resolution? It's the rules. They set their own rules. Why? Because they're a sovereign entity. They can vote to suspend the rules. The state is a sovereignty, and the convention is a sovereignty. You pass a package of rules at Congress. You pass a package of rules that the states agree to. You pack up your delegates. You send them. The delegates get there. They appoint a speaker. First order of business. We're going to adopt our rules. That doesn't mean they're going to adopt the rules you gave them. Yeah, they can create their own. It's a parliamentary maxim. A sovereignty does what it wants. Why? It's sovereign, and, and that's history, what an Article Five convention is. Talk about frightening! You don't need to go any further than that. You cannot change this thing. No way. Yeah, there so you go. Alec David. is, Alec uh, is pushing. Yeah, go ahead. David. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to address two issues with you. Uh, one, one is um, there have been multiple congressmen and a whole lot of lobbyists who have been saying that Obama should have another term or that uh, we need to um, get rid of term limits. The other thing that I want to uh, would like you to address are the multiple, multiple executive orders that have put the uh, American church uh, in the 501c3 category, faith-based, which is basically under the administrative authority of the Department of Homeland Security. And so we have now this, this entity called the Department of Homeland Security providing grants to about 90% of American churches. Um, I have talked to multiple pastors about this. They all defend it. Um, what, I, I'm very worried about the church as well. 
uh, being changed because, as we know, in the new state's constitution, it states that the church, that, that religious belief is a privilege. Well, they call it religious privilege. liberty to be privileged, meaning that only certain classes of people. That sounds like something out of the Council of Trent. Whoever wrote this, you know, we fought a revolution over that one time. Uh, if you go back and you read the story of Patrick Henry and the give me liberty or give me death speech, you know, that was framed out of the context of watching a pastor being whipped in, in the square in Culpeper, Virginia, for refusing to have a license to preach. You know, that's what, that's the well, and, and I want to make thing. sure that people understand, too, Executive Order 13397, which came uh, from uh, George W. Bush. King uh, George the Sixth. Yeah, okay. <laughs> said that the church was now responsible for crisis management, emergency management. Now we see all the lockdown parties in the churches, uh, amongst other things. And then in uh, 2010, uh, Obama signed okay. another. Nancy, let, uh, let, let, we got to take a break. We're up against the clock already. Uh, let's let's hang hang with that thought for a moment, and we'll uh, continue on the other side. Also, I want you folks to address. You know, the, the this notion that we can limit it to, you know, we've already, well, we'll, we'll be back in a moment. Stay with us. All right, we're back. This is Governor America visiting with... Uh, Aaron Bollinger and Pastor David Whitney of the Sherman Institute. Once again, their website is shermaninstitute.info and shermaninstitute.org. And uh, before the break, Nancy, you were just about to pose a question there, and uh, I'll get back to my Article 5 uh, question uh, with regard to the ratification process in a moment. Go ahead and continue. Okay. On, on March 6th of 2006, Executive Order 13397, uh, was signed, uh, which basically put the Department of Homeland Security over administrative authority of all 501c3 churches, which is about 90% of them in the United States. I think it's higher then, than that, but go ahead. Then, in November uh, 2010, Obama signed another executive order clarifying the church-state relationship, um, uh, clarifying the ground rules for religious groups partnering, that's the word, with the federal government through the White House's very, very controversial faith office. Um, I am worried about a con-con for the church because the churches now, 90% of them, are taking federal money. Well, let's put that in perspective. One real quick thing, and David, I want you to take this one. But that faith-based office distributed $2 billion the last time the money was counted. I think it was two years ago, just to Catholic charities. Now, by what stretch of the imagination do we have the federal government giving that quantity of money in perspective? The entire firearms industry in the United States did just about $2 billion in total manufacturing and sales during that same time period. Mm-hmm. Okay, two billion dollars to Catholic charities alone. Nancy, you, you ask a very, very pertinent question because 
what has happened to the church in America is the church in America, the 90-plus percent, is probably closer to 95% of churches that are 501c3, have accepted a deal with the devil without realizing it. What we've yep. stepped back into is the old European state church system where the government runs the church and the government controls the church. The reality is, however, no church needs to be a 501c3. My church is not a 501c3. They're already a non-profit. That's right. No, you're not a non-profit. It's a church. You're exempt from taxation. Right. Non-profit is a government designation, but exempt from taxation. Every church ever always has been. That's correct. And the the actual, I do a lecture on this. If people are interested, they could uh, contact me if they'd like to get the DVD. I do a talk on why no church needs to be a 501c3 nor incorporated because the de- details right in the IRS's own documentation show that if a church is not a 501c3, that is, they don't, haven't received the approval, the letter from the IRS, they can still give to those who donate to their church, those who are the contributors to the church, they could still give them information that those donors can then use on their tax returns if they itemize their taxes. So there's no difference for the person attending a non-501c3 church in terms of what they will fill out in their tax return versus a person attending a 501c3, what they fill out on their tax return. So most but churches have bought a lot. the fact that they can get federal grant money. That is right. what the 501c3 designation Well, doesn't that Bible we all love so much have something in there about uh, come shekels, come shackles? Yeah, yeah. and the, the reality is that no church should ever accept monies from the federal government, even if they're saying, well, we're going to do something good with this. We're going to set up a food kitchen. We're going to do all, all sorts of beneficial things in the community. No church should do that, first of all, because it's stolen money. You're receiving stolen goods as an institution mm. that claims to be following the Lord Jesus Christ because the government, both federal, state, and local, according to God's word, has no business ever conducting anything regarding welfare for anyone in the community or anything regarding education if you're receiving it because, oh, we're a, you know, a parochial school and we want money for textbooks. No, the Bible does not permit you to do that. The education and the welfare belong in family government, and church government, but they are never the job of civil government. So according to God's law, which, by the way, is the only law in the universe that matters, God's law says a church that's truly following Jesus Christ as its Lord and Master will not accept money to do some charitable or some welfare work because it will recognize God's law is never given permission for the civil government at any level to take taxpayers' money and to use it for some welfare scheme or some education scheme or anything other than the the two jobs that God has given to civil government, and that is to establish justice by punishing injustice and to defend the borders. That's the only Mm -hmm. job of human civil government, according to God's law. Well, Well, this is is all very important. Pastor Whitney, I want to throw something in here to, to back you up on that one step further. Our Creator told us he would provide for us. And as a person who has lived a very separatist lifestyle for a long time, I can testify he comes through with that. So if you're a preacher and you're wondering where's it going to come from, trust the guy you're supposed to be preaching for. If you're supposed to have it, he'll give it to you ten times over what this stinking money from the federal government will give you. Well, the problem is that you got so many preachers out there now that are – you know, their their whole intention, their whole desire is some kind of carnal 
idea uh, of building a legacy for themselves uh, with a fancy building and, uh, you know, with the stained glass windows and the whole thing and the, a massive mortgage that goes along with it, which, which serves as a ball and chain for that whole congregation. Of course. The borrower is servant to the lender. We teach that in Economics 101 here. Yeah, that's why we don't accept federal monies for student tuition, and that's why we've got more teachers than students at the moment, because most kids think, well, if we can't get it given to us, we don't need it. Well, here you have to kind of pay for it. So we got it uh, from the free market side. We actually have to deliver a pretty good education, because if a student don't like what he's getting, he's gone. Yeah. Well, you know, the reason why this uh, this whole issue is so important with regard to uh, the churches being in bed with the uh, the federal government is the fact that, uh, you know, historically, uh, pastors from the pulpit have been really something that have exposed a lot of these politicians. Uh, is it not true that politicians used to fear what the preachers on Sunday well, were going to preach from the pulpit? You're, you're right, man, because the, what's tradition, traditionally in America, the first 100, 150 years was what was called the election sermon, that is, the preachers would preach to their congregation, here's the qualifications that anyone running for office, including dog catcher, must meet. Exodus 18, verse 20, 21, and 22 are a good example of that. So here's the qualifications you as voters have to use in evaluating who you're going to select for office. Then, after the people were elected, the legislative branch usually would call a community, a preacher from the community to preach to the legislature before they actually took their oath of office, before they actually began to function in that position. They would preach to them from the Bible, from God's law, and says, here's the standard, folks. You're going to be held accountable to. And by the way, you're taking an oath not to the people that elected you. Your oath is to Almighty God, and he's going to hold you accountable to that oath on Judgment Day, and there will be hell to pay if you violate your oath of office. So be very, very careful what you do. But a hundred and some years ago, that tradition died out, and the churches have failed to be that kind of testimony in our day that is desperately needed by those people in, in elected office. Well, the 501c3 for a church didn't even come along till Johnson, and Johnson was upset that so many preachers were speaking against the Vietnam War. So they had to come mm. up with a solution. There it was. There you go. All right, let's take the bottom of the hour break already. When we come back, I want to address uh, this Article 5 ratification process, getting back to the CONCON thing. We'll be back in a moment, folks. Stay with us. All right, we're back. This is Governor America visiting with Aaron Bollinger uh, and David Whitney of the of the uh, Sherman Institute, and uh, I want to get back to the uh, discussion about the Constitutional Convention issue and, and, the, and the Article 5 ratification process in particular. Now, earlier I shared from Corpus Juris Secundum, uh, which is a compilation of uh, su state Supreme Court findings, and about the supreme power of the convention. Once it's opened, it can't be uh, stopped, basically. It's, it's, and Aaron uh, talked about how basically it's its own sovereign entity, uh, equal with the other branches of government. Now, one of the arguments that the other side tries to uh, use or does use to try to sit, convince people that there's no risk is the fact that the, uh, you know, any amendments that would come out of a convention would have to be ratified by the states. Uh, can, can either of you uh, address that particular issue? Uh, I think probably either one of us could. David, Whitney, yeah. you want to handle that one? <laughs> sure. One of, the, one of the things we need to recognize is that we have gone over the edge in terms of actually having 
honest elections. There's plenty of uh, research out there that shows election fraud. And they, after all, what the precinct was it in Ohio where they had 110% voting all for Obama or things like that. We have such election fraud in place now that there's no guarantee that anything that comes down the pike would properly be ratified. That is, truly the people would have a voice in what's decided. Even if it was submitted directly to the people. Yes, right, because the, uh, my state, we use these touchscreen things, and actually the uh, legislature passed a bill to remove them, go back to paper ballots, so at least they could be, uh, although they're optical scan, they, and there's possibility for fraud there, they could be read by hand if you chose to do so. Oh, but the well, I've, I've seen the we don't have money to do that, and we currently still have the same fraudulent machines that are easily hackable. So any election that took place in the state of Maryland, there's no guarantee that any of it at all is an accurate election. I've okay, seen the same the thing. thing. I've seen the same thing on the desks of state legislators. Let's say it's sent back to the states themselves, and they, they vote on it like they do on on a typical you know, motion in front of them. You know, these guys, half of them standing around the walls talking, and you have one guy reaching over and flipping four or five levers. Okay, here's the point. Uh, <laughs> Article 5 actually says, when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states or by the conventions in three-fourths thereof, as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by Congress. So the point is, is that... You know, there's no guarantee, even though the states would supposedly have to ratify this thing, or, you know, there's no guarantee that the legislatures of the states would be the ones that actually do the ratifying. Now, we're going to let Congress decide. And, yeah. of course, just as we've seen with the first convention, the, the, the requirement was that the states had to ratify anything that came out of that convention. Guess what happened? They changed the ratification process within the document itself. Mm. So a whole new ratification process came out of the convention. Well, the, 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 another problem with this whole uh, concept, too, uh, that I see anyway, is that there's really no guarantee once a convention is opened and whatever document comes out of a convention that there would be really even be any uh, state rec uh, federal recognition of the states. No, that's well, that's true. Under that executive order uh, from Nixon, uh, our states have been divided into ten federal regions. And as such, the, this whole new state's constitution addresses the new states. So here's a whole other level to ratification if they want to just submit it to the, you know, face it. Our states have become pretty much administrative arms of this federal head now. And uh, all of this, that's why it's so difficult when you go into a state and try to fight against something like Real ID. Well, you know, even if you've got a good state, forget Pennsylvania or one of the big ones. Take a look at, uh, you know, one of the Carolinas. These people still rely very heavily on federal grants. So you go in there and you talk to them about doing the right thing and just say no to the money. Oh, my God, that money is a huge thing. We don't want to risk highway funds by going against real ID. You know, we don't want to risk this by going against that. Uh, these people act like their world would collapse in a minute, and particularly the large states. I mean, you deal with, uh, you know, the Justice Department grants are keeping Philadelphia's and Baltimore's and all these other police departments afloat. They're on life support as it is. No tax base, you know, no economy, no uh, manufacturing going on anymore in this country. We can't make a toaster that's worth a darn, you know. <laughs> so, so who's... Uh, yeah, you know, 
coming from to keep these things alive? Well, it's the grants. So if you go into a, a state and say, now, if you want this money, <clears throat> give us this vote. How many of them are going to have the intestinal fortitude, the moral fiber, the biblical worldview necessary to say, I don't want your money? Well, there's there's not just that, you know, the biblical, the moral fiber, the biblical, you know, even the, even the best people need to know that the uh, their constituency is going to back them when they do the the right thing. And, I've and, seen and, that over and over again in these state battles. You know, we've been working on this stuff, like I said, for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, and Alec and these groups come up with this. You go to a state legislator today and say, I'd like you to write a bill to do this. They don't do it. You know, they've probably got something in their collection. Let's see, Alec drafted this one. Uh, the ACIR drafted this one. Will this work? You know, I mean, they, they're they not educated enough in how to even properly phrase things. they got to go to the lawyers in their legal department and uh, figure out how to get a bill worded. And then they come back. If you give it to them that abstractly, they're going to come back to you with something that isn't going to work for you anyway. So that's why we, you know, a few years ago started working on pre-drafting legislation. If Alec can do it, we can do it. So now we've got all these liberty-minded bills. Forget the Tenth Amendment. I mean, that's just a, a, a drop in the bucket. First of all, you got to have teeth in these right. uh, in these exactly. things to fix the problems. Tenth Amendment's great, but that's a memorial resolution type of thing. It, it feels good. Lots of legislators will sign on but it lacks any enforcement clause. You need an act. You need a law. You need to know how to go back to a code and tear that code apart and say this section is now repealed. And this. So there's research involved. It's work. You know, and people don't want to do that. The legislators particularly, they farm it off to somebody else so they can stand out there and make speeches. You know, mm-hmm. well, fine. Uh, so we need to have people trained who can work in these bill offices and draft decent pieces of legislation. That's some of what we're trying to pull off with Sherman Institute. I teach the parliamentary procedure course. Every year we get good legislation introduced. Oh, it's stuck in committee. Well, you know what? If you go back to the manual, the Jefferson's manual in those states that use it, the the, uh, Paul Mason's manual in those states that use that one, there's a procedure to get a bill unstuck from committee. You just need to know it and apply it. And get it working. And we've been able to do that. But you have to have people trained. You know, when I've been working in these states, I spend as much time training people why we're going to talk to this person as actually doing the work there. So we're yeah. trying, I figure it might as well be part of Sherman Institute. Let's teach some more activists how to do this stuff. Yeah, right. it's not rocket science. It doesn't even rise to the level of kite science. But there are <laughs> procedures involved. And and David, I'd like to also address the issue of the Second Amendment, which of course is a line in the sand for many American people. The new state's constitution actually says there is to be no ownership of firearms minus law enforcement and military. Um, uh, A lot of people in Washington, D.C., and a lot of people in the states, of course, want to get rid of uh, gun rights for the people. Well, see, and you've got these it, two. You've got these two Americas. You've got the urbanites and you got the rural people. And this is one of the problems with uh, the Second Amendment because people in the cities they, they've learned to be scared of everything that goes bump in the night. Yeah. You know, and and so there's a lot of people that would support getting rid of gun rights. Then you got folks out here that live on the land that, that know it, it takes 25 minutes for the cops to arrive if you call them. 
They want to be able to protect themselves. But the Second Amendment is pretty concrete. The new state's constitution is abolished. And also, well, everything's abolished. The, the thing about it is the new state's constitution, uh, you know, in a declared national emergency, you don't have anything. No, they've That's taken right. all the existing rights and put that little clause, except in a declared emergency, at the end of it. So even the right to assemble, you know, the right to, uh, you know, free press. The, uh, the president stubs his toe. It's a national emergency. That is gone now. And that's exactly yeah. what happened in the Weimar Republic. But there's well, one, real, one real important point. I have to get this in because okay. I want to make sure we get this on the show. Mm-hmm. ALEC has been at it for years. The NTU has been at it for years. This whole clique put together this new state's constitution to get it ratified. They have to have a convention to do it. Unfortunately... Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.